Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perotin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perotin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey, everybody, it is your good friend, Dr. David Proden from down here in the North Star Recording Studio. So I appreciate you very much for joining me on this March 28th, 2022. Um, yes, I had to go up and uh, stoke the fire, which you wouldn't think would be something you need to do here on a March 28th, but it is like 33 degrees outside. Hand dropping, It'd be like 16 overnight. Yeah, and it was cold the last few days, so um, yeah, I am probably close to uh, a quart of firewood remaining. Not much, but uh, we'll get through it. So um, next few days will be cold also. Yeah, um, hope everybody out there is doing well. Uh, I don't know where the temp what the uh, temperature is by you, Zippy. I'm guessing, I'm going to make a guess here, 62 degrees right now. Maybe you can let me know. Toy Town, I'm guessing uh, 55. Solitude, I think you're kind of northern, right? Like 44. And uh, you can let me know. So I am uh, <laughs> I am hoping to retire. Move my mic a little bit. I'm hoping to retire my uh, Navy Peacoat for the season. I have to take it to the dry cleaner, actually. And, um, and a couple sport coats, this one included. I've been febrezing my sport coats like a madman um, the last couple months here. And now um, they've gone as far as they as I dare take them with Febreze. So, um, yeah. Uh, let me see here. I'm looking, checking myself on a monitor. I When I adjusted my lighting today, I think I, I messed up my camera a little bit, but it, it looks okay. So, um uh, so yeah, uh, so cool. Uh, Toy Town saying, uh, it should be 50, only 25 Toy Town. Yikes. Hey, it's one fast stack. Our good friend from Canada. Hey brother. Um, I'm guessing you probably beat us here with the, uh, lowest temperature. I said it was about, I don't know what I said, but it's like 25 right now. It'll be 16 overnight. So I don't know what it's what it's like up there by you and ABCD one fast X, our good buddy right here from um, up in Canada. So, um, yeah, I, I am I am so ready for winter to be over. Um, I'm just I have my bike already, and uh, so hey, you look fine. Thanks, Altitude Server. So assume I, I just I adjusted the the. Uh, I didn't adjust, but when I, I changed some of the lighting um, for the studio, I think I hit the camera. So I think there's a little room above my head, which maybe I'll, I don't know, maybe it looks okay. But um, 74, Heath, good for you, buddy. Yeah, I don't know when the first 74-degree day will be here, um, but I'm looking forward to it. I, <laughs> I am so looking forward to it. Oh, gosh. 30 degrees Fahrenheit fast. You're you're uh, just a foot, got a foot of snow though. Okay, wow. So we have no snow on the ground, um, but it what it didn't get to 30 degrees here today. 
So I, yesterday, so I'm in Southern Wisconsin. Yesterday, I took um, a walk around town and it was 28 degrees with about a steady 20 mile an hour wind. So I don't know what the wind chill would factor in, but I had on my typical winter stuff, my winter gloves, you know, hat, neck gaiter and, and uh, Navy pea coat and stuff like that. And, and, um, insulated shirt. And I was, I was okay, but like, I wouldn't say I was warm. Um, which is pretty crazy. It's our good friend, all pro Leventon. And oh my goodness. I think I shared last week. I took my bike in to be, uh, be tuned up and, um, had an issue with the derailleur. Everything's ready to go, but the bike's in the garage. Bike's ready. It's just the temperatures, <laughs> 28 degrees. So I do not bike in cold weather. I know people do that. I am not one of you. So don't invite me to your get togethers. Um, so unless afterwards when you have chili, I will attend those. Um, so let me give you guys an update on a few things. Thank you for being here. So today's show is called Breaking Parkinson's Law in Chicago. It is a chapter title from my book, dun, da, 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 The Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times, which, yes, I'm holding up right here. April 1st, it releases. So this Friday, you can get it off of Amazon, Barnes & Noble's bookstores, places that sell books. This is showing up now in more libraries um, across the world. So, um, so it, it's a phenomenal read, right? This is just an awesome book, beautiful cover, a lot of uh, custom graphics. So really well done. I know the author, health guy, but, uh, yeah, velocity of information. I donated two copies to my local library and, uh, I'm donating one to my hometown library where I grew up, but that's in a couple of weeks when I'm going to stop up there. Uh, they have a beautiful library, um, that's about 10 years old and a small town of like 1500. But uh, my first book is there. And then <laughs> I emailed them and said, Hey, like I wrote this uh, second book and I like to, you know, bring it up and, uh, you know, give you an inscribed copy. So, um, so you can level off like a, one of the tables where the leg is too short, but uh, yeah. So this book is, um, is expensive as hard copy. I, I don't set the price on this, but it, it is um, affordable in, in, uh, in which I have over here. Um, come on, Doc, get it together here in the pre-show. This is paperback, so well done. Actually, you know, the, I, I like to read in paperback because paperback just moves easier. If you take care of it, it's fine. Um, so this is my preference to read in. Um, but yeah, so 208 pages, and that's boiled down. That's after months and months of taking a 300 page book and figuring out like, how can I distill it down? How can I distill it down? So when you get it right, and it's a nonfiction book, nonfiction, you want to be in that like 200 to 220 range for people. So there's not a moment in here where you're going to be like, okay, come on doc, get through it. No, it's like, it, it's, it's live right from the start. So awesome book. Um, so yeah, if, if you can do doc a solid and consider um, one of two things, either purchasing that, on a place that sells books or two, um, contacting your local library, uh, phone call, uh, email to your local library and say, Hey, I, um, I want you to, to, I'm suggesting this book, please buy this book. And most libraries will do that. If it's, if you live there, right. If you live there, um, they will buy the book and add it to their collection. They're always looking for people to make suggestions. That's something I learned. Um, 
and that's one of the the reasons School of Errors kind of took off like it did is people. Um, I presented about School of Errors on PBS, and people would contact their libraries and say, "Hey, like, can we get this book here?" <laughs> and they'd say, "Well, sure." Like, you know, a lot of you know, we take recommendations, and uh, not a lot of people recommend books, and we'll add it in. So that's awesome. So yeah, I've lost you information. Please uh, consider it. Uh, next year, the audiobook comes out. That's per contract. It doesn't release right away, but. Um, let me do a little more housekeeping here on book stuff. Um, let's keep, keeps the light on lights on here at the safety doc, uh, podcast. And so school of errors is my first book still awesome as ever. Um, rethinking school safety in America. If you're a parent, if you know somebody who has a parent who has uh, kids that go to uh, school, right? K-12, uh, this is an essential book for understanding how safety decisions are made in the K-12 setting. It, I, I titled it uh, or, or, or badge it as the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industry. I think we're up to almost 50 reviews. Like people have read it. Um, and if you email me, um, you know, safety experts in school parents, uh, just like in the last week and said, just I read the book. I love it. And I'm going to write it in Amazon review. So I knew we're probably, there's probably like five, six reviews that are going to be posted soon. Um, so this book, um, some good news about this book too. So this is $30 in hardcover really well made sewn you know so my books um all come out under publishing contracts so they're sewn their library great this will be released in july july 15th as a paperback a delayed paperback on that date it also releases in audiobook narrated by me i'm narrating it at a local sound studio uh, which is a very uh, wonderful uh, is a, I, I, let me rephrase that it's been a terrifying experience for me um like I can speak before I presented twice on PBS before a live studio audience. No problem. No nerves. No problem with that. I love that to narrate a book is to me was very difficult. You have to market differently. Um, it's, you know, right. And if you make a mistake, it's not that big of a thing because the audio engineer will just correct it, you know, say like start over. Um, but once I got the hang of it, uh, I listened to it today, actually about an hour worth of finished uh, text or finished narration. This is coming out in in July, July 15th in paperback, and then also an audio, audio be with Find Away Voices, narrated by me. So you're going to get the punchiness of Doc. So every time I'm in there, I got a couple containers of water, you know, a bunch of lip balm, and I'm just ready to go. Like I've, I've pre-read it, and uh, it's professionally edited, right? Uh, or, you know, with, with the sound engineer, um, it's done in a studio. So it's really cool. Um, so, and I... I can't wait to get that one out there because, again, um, you're going to hear it straight from me and you're going to hear all the emotion <laughs> that you probably think in your mind of like, oh, my God, Doc, this crazy madman, you know, writing here over the honesty about school safety. You'll, you'll hear it as you uh, in real time. Uh, and that's going to be very affordable, too, when it comes on audiobook because uh, I price it. So and that will be available in libraries. But um, so anyway, do Doc a favor. <laughs> Consider my stuff. And I, and if it's not your jam, you know, you can check out a lot of samples on, um, on uh, I think Google has like 44 pages of it or something um, recommended to libraries. So let's go in here to the chat. So let's see what's happening today. And uh, it's Toy Town who said he's uh, getting sleepy. Don't be insulted. I fall asleep during class. Still get watch hours. Well, you bet I won't. Um, yeah, I'm wrapping up a class that I'm teaching right now. And I, have a I changed the final exam last year. Those cameras kind of freak me out here. Right, let me adjust the camera. Hang with me. Uh, so, all right. 
Is that better? All right. I don't know. I don't want a space above my head. So now it's kind of... All right, hang with there. Uh, da, da, da. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's pretty good. Probably exactly like it was before. Um, ah, yikes. So um, somebody, somebody I was talking to uh, um, said... Your personality, I would describe as uh, disagreeable. I was like, yeah, you know, I was probably right. <laughs> uh, probably disagreeable, right? As, uh, you're probably right on with that. Not bad. And a good person to hear, Doc, is, but disagreeable? Yeah, that's probably accurate. Um, so stay up, buddy, as long as you can, or at least keep your computer tied into the show. Um and your good friend Solitude is telling you to get a pep. Uh, here we go. No, here it is. Uh, Toy Town, uh, grab a Pepsi, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Royal RC. Any of those will do. Or Mountain Dew. It's up to you. Uh, fast acting fit, uh, Toy Town, uh, 55, but only should be 50. Yeah, you know, we should. We The same thing here. Should be 55, only 25. So um, my winter wardrobe is pretty limited, meaning like... Um, when I'm, <laughs> I, I, I buy, I, I shared it with you guys, I, I buy these thermal insulated shirts or long sleeve that the NFL players wear. And I get them from a shop in Minnesota that the NFL donates these um, garments to, not official jerseys, but like the, the cold weather climate. So they're authentic. They'll have like the players' names in the back. And this place sells them cheap like for 20 bucks a piece. And so these things are made really well. They're made to, you know, not be ripped all apart when people are trying to tackle you. Not that people are trying to tackle me, thankfully, but um, but they're super warm, like they're long, so they stay like tucked in and stuff like that. So I have this really nice setup and I just added one uh, this year to it. Um, so I, that's all I wear is just, I have this rotation now of, you know, it looks, looks like Doc was in the NFL back in the 90s, but... Uh, but they're they're great, and I was hoping I could re retire those and start moving into some of my quote summer clothes. But no, um, hey, it wasn't fast. Hey, buddy, appreciate uh, appreciate you being here. And uh, yeah, he got a foot of snow up there in uh, Canada. Look fine, thanks, buddy. Um, Heath, it's the heat with God. I so miss warm weather. Um, so miss it. Um, Heath was saying he had a funnel cloud uh, cruise by, but no touchdown. Holy smokes, buddy. Take care. Yikes. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a while before we get anything like that here. It, it is Shinobi Wan. Yo, yo. Plus one shield. Thank you, buddy. Pokes a Bobby, buddy. Okay, I'm curious. I'm in Chicago. What's Parkinson's law? I've never heard. Of you got to be kidding. It's all over Chicago. It's everywhere. Right, so it's in the it's in the show description if you're really curious because I might talk a little bit before we get to it, but it, I already wrote the show description and posted it, um, and I'm going to tell you guys a really cool story about a chapter I wrote, um, and kind of and and the backstory of like how I even learned about Parkinson's law in Chicago. Um, someone who you might know let me in on the the info, so. I'm going to share that story today. Um, so I'm broke, brother, to safety doc, but I'll do that. Also, yeah, yeah, I appreciate. I don't ask um, 
that people go out and especially, I mean, the hard copy version of the new book is, is aimed more toward like library purchases that publisher did that. Um, but yeah, you can do me a big favor by recommending it to your local library. They usually have an email address or they'll say like a suggest things. And I would say if you live, if you live there, it's like 90%. Yes. They'll add it. I mean, they'll look at it and they'll, run, you know, run the title and ISBN and say, oh, like, yeah, it's a peer-reviewed, you know, it's a reputable publisher. Um, Doc already has a book out, so we'll add it. And that helps me because then um, I track different interfaces for my publisher and I can see where the book is at, kind of, like I get a sense for that. So I can see the libraries where it starts to show up. And usually, like, it's kind of like in Texas. When School of Airs showed up in one library in Texas, then like a month later, it wasn't like eight libraries in Texas. So that's the thing is if one library has it, um, that's kind of the social proof for other libraries to get it, which I appreciate. Um, so, hey, it's Vanessa Kitty. Welcome, Vanessa. It's cold here. Hope it's uh, warmer by you. It's Zippy. Mole Baines. John Rice, our good friend. Hi, peeps. Cold down here in Connecticut. Oh, sorry to hear that. It's cold here. And, there's, it, and the thing is, there's like really no hope of it getting better. We had over the in the past week, we had like four straight days of of a combination of either rain, sleet, or snow. Like, I, and I don't really remember that happening here for like four consecutive days. But um, I'm doing, you know, right now I'm in the recording studio two days a week working on uh, School of Air. So, and we're sixty five percent done with that, and it's turning out awesome. I listened to it today, the, the finished uh, parts of it that the engineer gave to me, sound engineer. It's awesome, and like, you know, now I'm, br I'm really bringing the energy now into it because at first it's kind of, and I did have a couple of rehearsal sessions um, ahead of time that we didn't record uh, to just kind of get familiar with how that works. But, um, but anyway, like it's good to narrate because like you wouldn't be doing anything else. I go down, <laughs> I park in this, the city the parking lot, which is close to it. And then, you know, I come out and my car is all covered in sleet. So I'm like, there's nothing else I would have been doing today. And so not like it's 85 and I'd be biking. Um, just leaving summer here in New Zealand. You're in New Zealand. Holy smokes, buddy. It's starting to get cold. Fin finally, okay. Yeah. We are entering our spring phase in Wisconsin. Um, in the next month, we should have a fair number of days that hit 70 degrees Fahrenheit. But um, right now, most of our days have been about 25 degrees Fahrenheit. So big, big difference. Um, so, bro, that's not a show description. That's a, <laughs> so that is actually, that will become the blog post. And I, I did that one ahead of time. I had, I added some uh, time on, I think it was Saturday and I worked ahead and, and put that together. And actually there's an excerpt from my book. So it's not like I had to authentically write all of that fresh, but, and I have the blog posts kind of uh, roughed out and ready to activate tomorrow, but um, yeah, and it, actually, all of my shows have a description. You can have up to five thousand characters in your description for YouTube, and I usually use up most of the five thousand, and then that yeah gets turned over on Safety PhD. BV Lumnus, re, thank you, buddy. Welcome, BV Lumnus. Hit like plus. Wow, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a banner for that. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. I, 
I have to up my tech game a, a little bit here. I know I have a second camera option now with the version I'm running of uh, StreamYard. And I do have a second um, camera, but I, I have to experiment and set that up. I don't. I, I think I would set it up on a tripod um, to the right of me and have it look down. I think it could be a pretty cool effect, but it's only me down here, so <laughs> you know I don't want to. I don't want to bring too many things into the mix here. Um, so the safety doc show descriptions are good. Thanks, Vanessa. Yeah, so all of those descriptions then are at safetyphd.com, and then I break them out into headers and put in graphics. So they're much more coherent there, and every one of them is there. So safetyphd.com, you can find every show, every every description, and then it's written as kind of paragraphs, right? So it's down titles. You know, it's easy to follow. Here it's just there. Um, well, good news. I Google what Parkinson's law and stream is, and it's on the, it, this stream is on the first, oh my God, folks, a Bob. That only happens to our good friend, Terrence Pop. So I've had this one out for a little while. So, I mean, I've, I've had like the alert that the show is going to come out. So first one on Google, that is awesome. Shinobi one, a lot of people neglect the show description. It's good to use that to the fullest. Yeah, because I, I, Ever since I started the Safety Doc podcast, I don't know, four years ago. Now, this is show 175. I write a basically four to 5,000 word description of the show, and which is about a four or five minute read. And uh, and I think it's a, it's a very valuable resource if you're going back and whether you want to know, you know, this or the last show, Crisis versus Chaos or Josh to Locksmith, right? Um, you can go back and find kind of those key points in a pretty easy-to-use format and then links out to anything, too. So, you know, if I look at that, hundred, I've written, um, you know, maybe like 350. If it was just a book, it'd be like 350 pages worth of <laughs> stuff. So um, pretty cool. So, hey, look at this, 60pagej.com. And folks, uh, Bob's going to be right back. So let, let's... Um, before we get into um, this, right, and thank you, thank you everybody for being here. A um, couple things. So on April fifth is the election for our city council and other government positions. But I am running for city council district two. So if you are in district two and listening to this, thank you so much, and I appreciate your vote. Um, so. Yeah, uh, we had, uh, not we, there was a uh, candidate forum on Saturday, a three-hour-long candidate forum um, that I participated in. Um, so that was well-coordinated, and I enjoyed I There wasn't a specific time for me to talk, um, so I realized that about 30 minutes in that I had to, like, say something <laughs> to work myself into the discussion, so that's what I that's what I did. I forgot exactly what the the topic was at that point, but um, but it went well, and yeah, and I met my uh, contestant for the first time or my my opponent. I don't really call it opponent because I'm not. I I, I think either person that uh, is voted in is going to do a a commendable job in this in this role. So, um, but that's not the case throughout all of the elected positions. Like if they're contested, there are some signs like vote for this person not for this person but um you know i that first of all that's not my my style and you know i was i was glad to meet my 
the person running also for the the position. And we had a good conversation and, and, uh, so whatever the constituents decide, you know, they're going to, I think, have somebody in there who's going to, uh, do a good job for them. So, um, yeah, so, so we had that, it went, well, it was really cold. <laughs> so it was like a 22 and like a wind chill. So like even outside afterwards, I was talking with the reporter and like both of us are just kind of shaking and it's so cold. And yeah, and this was a, a short, short discussion, but, uh, but yeah, um, that went well. So learned, learned a few things I didn't know. Um, we'll see. So yeah, a week from tomorrow. And then I think it's uh, two weeks after that is the swearing in. Um, and then things kind of roll from, from there. So, um, yeah, first time I've run for a political office and I, you know, so, um, I've, I did, our school board had an open position because somebody had left early because of a medical condition. Um, so there was this vacancy to fill and I did put my name in the hat for that, um, a couple of years ago. Um, and I wasn't the one selected. So, and I didn't intend to really like run. <laughs> I remember the media was asking me like, are you going to run for this position? I said, no, you know, like the person they selected, I think has an extraordinary skill set um, for this. I just wanted to make sure that there was someone who would step in. So, so this position wasn't vacant to keep things going. Um, and that was sincere. Like the person they, they brought in, I mean, had a background in um, like uh, healthcare and benefits and things like that. It was really a good match as a school administrator, I'm like, that is a person I'd pick, um, and has done a, a really good job. But, uh, but yeah, this, this, I've already learned so much about, um, how, you know, like how streets, uh, the selection, how streets get, uh, maintained and budgeted for, you know, repaired and low spots in communities, how pumps have to be installed to, you know, make sure they minimize uh, flooding and, um, things like that. So I know there's so much more and, uh, we have a, we have a recreation airport in town. Uh, I think, you know, which is really cool. Like I always see it used a lot. Eventually there's going to be a larger airport put someplace. Um, so there's discussion, well, what will happen to that current airport? Like in, it's kind of prime land. Um, so yeah. Um, learning a lot. One of the things was when I was at the I don't know, debate, I guess it did turn into a debate. Um, I looked around and I'm like, I could work with all these people. So really felt the, you know, confident leaving there. Like, yeah, there's, there's, there's not a person running in any position here that I could not collaborate with. They're all, this, this is going to be good. Whatever, whatever shakes out here on the fifth. And if I get voted in, we've got a good group of, of, uh, of people here. So, um, Bacon saying, hey, Bacon, welcome, buddy. Inglewood. Um, Doc is so prepared for these shows. He has suits lined up. At, it, this, I, I don't know, man. I've worn this sport coat a lot. This is this is a sport coat. Um, I got it. Goodwill for $5. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I haven't had this one very long either. Probably um, a couple months. So, this one needs... All my sport coats need to go to the dry cleaner and my pea coat. One, but once I can commit to like, you know, I know it's going to be warmer weather now, 
like I said, my I had to wear my pea coat today. It was only like 28 outside. Um, so yeah, I need to add a sport coat. I need to add probably, I don't know, black or a dark gray. So I get all my sport coats off eBay, except if I find them at Goodwill. I, I tried on some kind of cool ones at Goodwill. So <laughs> yeah, the thing, even if you buy a sport coat at Goodwill, it's almost a 50% certainty that it's because it's somebody has passed on and the family's cleaning out the wardrobe and they, they turn into the, the sport coat, especially if it's like a 80s or 90s sport coat. And I love vintage sport coats, so I'm there. But uh, but yeah, I'm there's always that sense when you're wearing it of like, oh, so this is this is probably why this is here. Um, but New York Outcast, hey buddy, welcome, welcome, welcome very much. I wish you hey, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, I I you know, I'm not running a uh, a heavy signage campaign. And some people are doing that around here. I just, it's just, I'm just—it's not my approach um, to, you know, buy 50 yard signs and try to, to convince people to put them out there. And and I know there's logic to that, right? And and if I was—I think if I was running for like you know judge or something like that, where that's like my career, I might I you know have a different marketing approach. But my marketing approach has been to get to know people to face-to-face, get to know people. And last week, I was also on the front page of our paper donating two hard copies of my book to the library. This was front page. So I figure, you know, and I, t- and I tag stuff out on social media. And and uh, um, so, and I figured that way, you know, if I do get voted in, then it is because organically people are spreading the word and I made a good impression um, on, on them. So, um but yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, a lot to learn. So, Doc, uh, you do know if you get voted and you do a good job, uh, the dark side will be after you. Keep your head on. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's New York Outcast. Is uh, it's interesting you mentioned that because um, I have a friend who was voted um, into a higher position than what I'm running for, and. Uh, that friend shared with me that uh, it has been very difficult with um, from the adults, right? Um, uh, social media, I don't know, attacks, not threats, but you know, the kind of weeding through all that stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm confident. Uh, I was, you know, in school administration for a number of years, so I, it's not like I'm thinking everybody's going to be happy with city hall. But um, at the same time, um, you know, I, I think I, I have a good connection with people and good connection with people I work with. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's really a positive, you know, feeling. And I think we have a community that's pretty level uh, across the board, you know. So looking forward to it. Um, what are you trying to change in the community? So, Wow putting me on the spot here with questions. So I did have my talking points. Um, and one was that our community does not um, record its uh, city council meetings. And so if you you know try to find them, they're not there because they're not recorded. And we're the only community that doesn't do that around here. And I think they should be recorded. 
uh, you know, right? For a lot of reasons. If you can't, if it's accessibility, you can't get there, um, or you're working, is the time that the meetings are, you can find them a different way. It's institutional knowledge. So you can go back and see, oh, like I want to go back to the meeting when they talked about the sewer plant upgrades, right? Or something like that. You can go back and find that meeting. Um, so it's just like, it should be there. And so that's, you know, that's one um, point. And then uh, we also are looking at a large subdivision, or I should say the city's looking at a large subdivision. Now city doesn't build subdivisions. They build infrastructure if a developer comes in. So there's a developer very interested and has put together plans for a substantial um, residential addition onto the city. So the city's responsibility in that would be to build the infrastructure um, curb, road, sewer, water, that stuff. Um, and this would spark um, potentially more growth on that side of our town. We haven't had growth. You know, we've been here 20 years and the town is, the city is about the same population. So new, but 1,700 people a day drive into work here. So there are quite a few jobs, but there aren't a lot of places to live. So if we could increase housing, we would that would be a step in the right direction because it wouldn't people would move here. Um, so those are kind of the big things, and then um, encouraging people to um, attend the comment uh, portions of of board or not board of council meetings um, to have comment on those. So kind of the starting points, and we'll see where things go from there. Um, so. Yeah, um, New York Outcast, or Shinobi, Shinobi One is saying, that's right, brother, my uh, outpost evil elite will try to take out any that do other harm to demon gods or share their demon gods. All right. Bacon is saying, New York Outcast, good point. Guess we know Doc keeps his nose clean. If they had any dirt on him, they would have used it. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows, huh? Um, you know, it's, I don't, you know, it's, I always wonder with, uh, like, School of Airs was a book that ruffled feathers because I called out the professional standards of educational learning. So that ended up having, uh, I, I shouldn't say repercussions because everything I wrote is accurate and very thorough, but of course it upset some people. So the truth nature of that book um, was, I felt that going forward. Um, I'm glad I wrote it. No, no uh, issue with that, but, um, you know, the, and philosophy of information is an excellent, uh, book, but also, um, you know, kind of, kind of punchy on a few, um, you know, topics of the last couple of years too. So, uh, but no, I, I mean, I'm no, I mean, I'm very vested in doing a good job if I get elected. So, and that's going to be, you know, so I think we're, I think, you know, we're in good shape. So, um, and I'm, I'm, and thankfully, like I am, my opponent is, you know, running a professional above the board campaign, right? <laughs> so is doing, doing an excellent job. So you're not getting these, you know, like, oh, when Doc was seven years old, you know, uh, you know, he once, uh, you know, hit a baseball over a fence and cracked a window at an elderly folks home, which I think I did. It wasn't intentional, though, and I think it was during a little league game, so... Um, but, uh, yeah, all pro lemon 10. I volunteered in a few small campaigns. I always like uh, county state races. So 
yeah, so this is a city race. We have a city of 10,000. And uh, so looking looking forward to it. We'll see what happens. Um, hi, Doc and Patriots. Hey, Ting Ting. Uh, don't be fooled. Score moms can be dangerous. That's from New York Outcast. And uh, parking is probably an issue. You know, parking is probably okay because we, <laughs> unfortunately, we had a couple of buildings burned down. Um, which freed up uh, some some changes and some opportunities to adjust some parking stuff. Um, so parking parking is pretty pretty good. Um, we do have an issue though. It's because we're a very very old town. The way that the roads come together, it parts of town don't make a lot of of. Uh, it, it's it's difficult to make sense out of some. You wouldn't lay out a town the way that parts of this town are laid out because it's so old. So in the the kind of downtown region, it's you have this confluence of like three main highways. So it's it's difficult um, to have like a town square feel because there isn't that the way that the town has evolved over time because it's been, you know, so old. But again, with that said, the history of the town is also a real asset to bring people here. You know, we used to have a military fort from 1824 to 1845. We have two, we have a building from that. We have an Indian Indian agency house from 1832, which is still a tourist attraction, um, a canal um, that is, uh, depending upon when you officially look at the start of the canal, but about 170 years old, which is uh, being restored for canoeing and kayaking and recreational things. So there's some really cool stuff here. Plus I live on the Wisconsin river. Um, so that's also, and there's a very nice walkway around, along the river, but, uh, um, so yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. One time you guys talked about parking, uh, two years ago, I had my Buick lacrosse downtown and we we're, this was during the pandemic and, when um, you know the we were we were doing more to uh, support our local restaurants um, at a time you know when business really dropped off, and they had started to allow you to come in to eat if you had a mask, and uh, I left, I parked outside, and my car I never shut it off. It's really quiet my lacrosse, and I came back out and I got in it and. It's just like so quiet, even though it's got big V6. And I'm like, oh, it never shut the car off. Like we've been in there the whole time. <laughs> the car was running. So like, what's up with that? It's G23. Subscribe, G23. Be the G23 that subscribes. So Vanessa, I've lost time. Tracked him. Um, rumor has a doc stole a three musketeers from his local corner store, but only after he left a $5 in counter. So it's funny. I looked over there because I, I eat three musketeers bars when I narrate school of airs at the studio. So, um, fact I load up with Swedish fish before I go in and narrate because they digest at a slower rate and keep your glucose levels up. So your glucose levels, cause when you're reading, um, out loud and reading for hours, it, it wears you down and you can kind of hear it. So there's little tricks like the professional area share with me. There's like Swedish fish. And I knew that from biking, like it really kind of stabilizes your glucose. 
Um, and then when I'm in there, after an hour, I take a break and I eat um, a couple, three musketeers bars because um, they quickly, your body quickly metabolizes the glucose. So your, your brain, so like when I come back in, you know, kind of like a caffeine jolt without drying out your vocal cords. So, um, so yeah, um, no. <laughs> and so, um, I, I gotta, uh, I gotta go runch on Dax stream at nine. Okay. Pokes of Bob. Uh, thanks for being here, buddy. Um, the town I grew up in is laid out like a wagon wheel. And then as a grown it branch off in different directions. So, wow. Um, Doc owned that store. It wasn't a problem. New York Crowdcast. Whoa. And uh, let's see here. I have subbed uh, since you had. Oh, thank you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan Berger. So thank you very much. Uh, gummy bears, uh, feet up or head down? Hmm. Let's go feet up. Um, gummy bears would be good. I used to I, I used to pack gummy bears when I biked. Um, so, um, yeah. I had three Buicks hit my truck. And all had to be towed away, but not my truck. Buick owner seems to be old and bad drivers in my area. So, well, I'm old. I think I'm an okay driver. And yeah, I don't know. My lacrosse is big. <laughs> this is big. It's big. Like it's you know, like when I pull into places and park, I'll be like, oh, like I could have pulled up another seven feet. Um. So, but uh, yeah. Well, let's get into uh, Parkinson's law. So I wrote about Parkinson's law in The Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times, Breaking Parkinson's Law in Chicago. It's a chapter I'm going to read for you today, which would have been a good cue for me to have that up on screen, which I don't. But um, Parkinson's law was, cre was a term from 1955, and it was coined by uh, Cyril Northcote Parkinson. It was a humorous essay. So it was just basically meant to mean that, hey, if I give you 10 hours, all right, G23 or bacon, I give you 10 hours and you need to paint this fence here. Like, you know, the karate kid, Mr. Miyagi's like, paint fence up, down, up, down. Um, I And I say, you got to get this fence painted in 10, 10 hours. You're like, okay, I got 10 hours. You're going to look at the fence and maybe the, you'd be like, thinking to yourself, I could get this done in like two hours, maybe three. But like Mr. Miyagi gave me 10 hours, so I'm going to take all 10 hours. So Parkinson's law basically means that whatever amount of time you give somebody to do something, they're going to use up all that time to do it. They're not going to finish early. Or they'll procrastinate until the last hour or two, then they'll get the job done. So that's the, the big kind of joke, right, about just Parkinson's law. The more time you give people to do something, they will make sure that it takes that long to do it. Um, so I think there's a there's a, a opposite side of that that I wrote about in the Velocity of Information. So I kind of coined a second definition of Parkinson's law, brand new, never used before in my book. And my definition of that is, so Parkinson's law, I believe is, here's what I wrote. In his book, The Velocity of Information, wow, pretty formal here, human thinking during cat times, Doc postulates a second interpretation of Parkinson's law. In this take, Parkinson's law represents the ingrained need for humans to have a distinct ritualistic start and end routine to their days. He wrote about this in his book, 
centering on a business owner in Chicago, which I'll read about in a little bit, who found people knocking on his door. Um, he was a closed non-essential business member when we were all essential, non-essential as people and as businesses. He was non-essential. That's Aaron Sawyer with Redline VR, Virtual Reality Club in Chicago. Um, people were knocking on his door in like May and they're saying, hey, um, I know you're closed. I can see you in there though. Is it okay if I bring my laptop in here and use your Wi-Fi and like, so these virtual reality areas, which were kind of like, set up where you could set up a kind of like desk thing. And um, and they're like, can we use your wife? And we'll pay you like uh, how much? Like for an hour or two hours or maybe like for the day. Like what do you try? And he's like, um, okay, I'm a VR place. I'm not in office. And that changed. But let's go into this. Breaking Parkinson's law in Chicago. In Chicago, when people were, one day woke up in the morning and it's like, you're non-essential. You're going to work remotely. And they're like, okay, I live in downtown Chicago. I kind of only use my apartment as a landing pad. You know, I'm out in the community for my meals or restaurants and things like this and hanging out with people and now all that shit down. So I really don't spend a lot of time here. And suddenly it's starting to warm up and people are like, oh, this sucks. I don't want to be here. Like it's a small apartment and I didn't realize how small it was until like I'm working here all the time. And then it's like, I'm logging in at two in the morning. I don't, I, everything is just the same. Like it's a blur. Like I'm, I'm working all the time and I'm, my routines are messed up and I don't feel like time is passing. Like time passes when we have distinct things that we do. Experiences cause time to pass. So this was a psychological thing. You wrote about it. I have an entire chapter here in, in, uh, in my book, which I'll read part of that in a bit. Um, so people were, not they didn't plan on being home and also they didn't plan on working remotely so they had a, a hard time logging in at eight o'clock logging off at four o'clock um and they needed to restore that so parkinson's law with this whole thing of work breaking parkinson's law i think there's a second definition so as people were coming in to aaron sawyer's and they're knocking and stuff well anyway like so he did he got a license from the city for 200 dollars, and he could be a business so then he turned these places and I have that ad in the book um, that he put out there. Hey, like come here and rent an office, you know, for a couple hours and stuff. So suddenly he turned into an office, but I said, Aaron, inter you know, like what's the deal? Like, why are people doing this? And people were doing it because they felt they didn't, they, they had lost the start and end time of their day of their work day. And by going there, by actually having to go someplace, I have to pack up my bag and put my laptop in there and my charger and, you know, whatever. And then I have to go there. It was important for people to go through that ritual of going to his virtual reality lounge in Chicago. Of course, then they're there. Then they're setting up stuff, doing stuff. And then they, they leave, like at a time, they exit. So there's all of these things that define a start and end time that they didn't have before because they were always at home, always in this tiny apartment. So breaking Parkinson's law means that they were breaking this up, this whole like big time thing into like, boom, like I can restore my work day. Now, when I go to work, my I, since the office is closed and I can't go there and like, I know I'm not going to go to the library, library was shut down or whatever, but this place is open and they've got great Wi-Fi because they have all the VR stuff and they had air conditioning and they already had this stuff. And, and so that was a point 
that was um, when I I heard about this story. So let me um, let me get the, the the page up here as I tell you the story. So I heard about this from um, a friend of his, and well, I'll tell you. So his friend Chad Elkins. So as you guys know, Chad Elkins on my my show here, the CPA, the Oracle of Chicago or all-time CPA friend, Chad Elkins. So um, Aaron Sawyer is a friend of Chad's. And they were talking and uh, Aaron Sawyer was telling him this whole thing of like, you know, like a Manana essential business and, uh, you know, how all this stuff is, you know, because Chad's from Chicago and, you know, they're having this discussion. And then um, as he is um, telling Chad about this, then like, I don't know if that was that same day or whatever, but Chad got a hold of me and he said, um, hey, like one of my friends had this um, really wild experience happen with his business. And I've been thinking about it. And I know like you're writing a book, right? About, you know, velocity of information and changes and essential, non-essential. And, and he said, I think it would be cool if you interviewed him. So I said, yeah. So Chad got a hold of Aaron and said, Dave's writing this book and kind of, you know, did the, the connection. So that was, um, then I, you know, I called, called Aaron up and I said, I'd like to interview you for the book. And yeah, so interviewed him and then a couple follow-ups and he sent along, um, the ad that he put in the, the paper or, or put up on his website about the web space. Uh, so Parkinson, Let's go here to page 75. All right. So let me do this. Let me show you, first of all, the ad. So let's share screen, then go back to chat for a second. Share screen, share screen, share screen. Okay. So right there is the, um, that's from the book, page 77. That's the ad that was up on his website. So, all of these areas over here, these were virtual reality stations. So virtual reality, meaning like you're fighting zombies, you wear the uh, goggles. So you look in 360, you'd wear haptic wearables to give you, you know, feedback of stuff. And, and so all of those were virtual reality stations, which he modified then to have little dividers and to become workstations. So you can see here, $15 a day for a flat desk, 35 a day for a VR desk, includes um, dedicated PC and uh, uh, pro set. And so this was amazing, right? And no one else has a story. Nobody else out there has a story because, you know, I, you know, I, I, I saw the, the potential for this and wrote about as information s slowed down for us, right? We get back into velocity of information in the book. As our, as velocity information toward us, as things started to really slow because, if you were non-essential, you're not getting that communication. You're not getting those experiences because things are shut down. You're told to stay at home. Time starts to get real wonky, right? There's there's not a real defined start and end time of when I'm working, when I'm doing other things. And this was a way for people to superimpose that start and end time because they had a ritual. They had something they could do. They And, you know, they couldn't go to work. They couldn't go to the library was closed, but boom suddenly knocking on the door and because Aaron, you know, said, I've got to do something to bring dollars in here. 
he got the two two hundred paid the two hundred dollars, turned it into an office, and and that got him through. I believe Redline VR now has opened up a second uh, VR place in Chicago. They were really doing well before this happened. It was a newer business, but um, so kind of cool. Like you know, because it's in the book, like that ad, right? You'll never see that hopefully again. <laughs> but um, when you're going through, you'll be like, oh yeah. And then I think people will be like, yeah, I remember. Or like, you know, if you have kids and your kids were home from school, like, you know, one day kind of rolls into the other and it's not real defined, you know, when is, when exactly is class when stuff like that. So let me, let me go to the chat and then I'm going to, uh, to do a reading here from this chapter. So, um, I wrote this, yeah, this is one of the earlier ones that I wrote. So, so here we go. All right. Go to the chat. Um, uh, dun, dun, dun. New York Outcast is saying, that's strange, Doc. I always try to be quicker. I always encourage my kids to have assignments done ASAP just in case. Well, I do that too. <laughs> so New York Outcast, you and I are on the same wavelength there. I I am not one to wait till the last moment um, on things. I try to work ahead like today's show like i already had the show description put together um but there but yeah the park in parkinson's law as a school administrator this actually was an issue a lot of times um a parent comes in and they'd be like uh the teacher gave my child uh any extension on an assignment like they said it was due at the end of the quarter but they said that for like three assignments now it's the end of the quarter and now they have three assignments due and it's overwhelming them and so then, you know, you meet with the parent, you meet with the teacher and say, so now what are we going to do? I mean, you've, you've, ex- you know, it's parking, you, you've said, okay, like you have the quarter to do this instead of three weeks to do this. So now all these things come due. And if someone is a procrastinator, it overwhelms them. It's too much to do. So like come up with a plan. And that was a, something I had to remind teachers of on a periodic basis is, um, there's times it's okay to give an extension, like things come up on, you know, projects and whatever. But if this is a perpetual thing that you're doing, eventually like things are due, like grades are due at the end of the quarter and the semester. And you're not doing a student any favor by just, you know, continuing to extend the deadline because at some point then you're going to have to approach them and say, Oh, by the way, like these five things are due tomorrow. <laughs> and then, then what are you going to do? Um, so I don't know. Some people kind of would it's, it's well intended, but they have to look at the big, big scene there. Last time, this is bacon. I was paid to paint a fence. It happened to be with my oil based paint. I need those extra eight hours to get stuff off my skin. No kidding. Mr. Miyagi needs to contact you, bacon. Mr. Miyagi lived in California. So unfortunately, Pat Marita's dead. So you probably won't find him now, but uh, when you're growing up, bacon. You never know. We could have found uh, Pat Morita to come over into. You already know martial arts, but he he probably could have uh, helped you practice the uh, crane kick. So, yeah. Um, Heath is saying this law sounds like eighty. Kind of does Parkinson's law. So I you know like I did and I I I did the second definition. We'll see if that catches on somewhere. So, um, I looked also at my hometown. This is kind of an ancillary thing, but the town I grew up in, and I'm not on the Wikipedia page, which is a bit, I wouldn't say disappointing, but 
I lived in a, I grew up in a small town and like some of the people who have made the Wikipedia page have not, um, <laughs> well, I shouldn't say this. It's not that they're not worthy of being on the Wikipedia page, but as I kind of measure my two books and two PBS presentations with that, I'm like, I should also be on the Wikipedia page. I don't know who takes care of that in my hometown or who's out there and can modify a Wikipedia page, but I do not appear on any Wikipedia pages, whether it's the town I currently live in for the last 20 years or my hometown. And I kind of think like, yeah, it should happen. So um, even this is New York Outcast, even with my estimates, I always make a job time longer than I need to make sure it's done early. Uh, makes me look good. You bet, buddy. I bid, I bid high to, uh, and so it's always less. People love faster. Yeah, absolutely. I I gotcha. Uh, Bacon saying, last time I thought Parkinson's law was a set of driving rules. Mark, uh, Michael J. Fox, yes, who has Parkinson's disease and does much for advocacy with um, uh, Parkinson's and for uh, disability rights. Michael J. Fox, really cool guy. So, um, yeah. And I, um, you know, I loved Back to the Future, but the Mer when he was... Um, uh, in the American president. I thought that was one of his best roles. Um, Vanessa saying, we need help for our students. Many had to, to uh, be in restaurant parking lots. Have internet. Oh my God, Vanessa. Yeah. You know, that's another, I didn't think about that uh, during the um, debate, I guess the candidate debate, but we also, as a city, um, I'd like to learn more about internet, right? Like, because right, people moving to your cities or businesses, reliable internet, uh, portable hotspots bring people to downtown restaurants, downtown locations. Um, I don't. I need to know more about that, um, and and what that what that looks like. So, um, so Bacon saying it's kind of a time dilation. It is. It's in the same section of the book that talks about time dilation. So, you got it figured out, buddy. Um, New York Outcast. It really doesn't take um, internet for classes, in my opinion. So, okay. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that one. Um, uh, Bacon saying to Vanessa, not going to lie, I've stolen the Wi-Fi at my local library for. So, all right. Local library is not going to charge you for Wi-Fi, though. But, um, yeah. I Before... Um, all the pandemic stuff hit, I bought a new router and it was unrelated. It was like in November back of 2019. So at the right time, upgraded our, our Wi-Fi capabilities. So I could be outside on my lawn chair when it actually warms up. Getting Wi-Fi. Vanessa, it takes the internet to communicate with students who are banned from closed schools. Yeah. So one of our, our neighboring communities, like, 15 years ago went all in with like a fiber high-speed fiber network to try to get people to go there in businesses. And I think it worked, but then like technology kind of leaped beyond that. So I don't know what they did to keep relevant after that. It was a big thing like 15, 20 years ago to like be a fiber community, at least in my area. Um, and now I just, I don't, I, again, I think it's kind of skipped beyond that to, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Internet just magically comes through here. But um, 
my internet cable is run very close to the top of the yard, so I, I do not, um, <laughs> I'm very careful uh, with raking even, like with a um, metal tongue rake or tine rake. Because I, I took it out once and, and then Charter fixed it and just left a cable on top of my yard for half a year. Yeah, and I'm having some uh, work done on landscaping, and I need to get it marked. And then I met with the landscaper, and I'm like, this area, I don't know exactly where the cable comes in, but there's the box, here's the house, here's, like, everything around here has to be really done delicately. Um, so, yeah. Um, your outcast. When mine were in school, we didn't allow internet access. Um, that made it work. Okay. Gotcha, buddy. Hey, well, you could be a... Whoa, this is Zippy. With the student ID system, one could set up a system to allow students to connect via all the major cell data companies. Uh, Internet Explorer, uh, sign up. Um, for example, if you sign up, it will qualify for yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. Um, I it's actually something like right now. I feel like I should know more about that. I don't. I don't know more about that. Um, I, I can teach with chalk and talk as well, disregarding. Using a tool and teaching it may be the wrong choice. So, when I teach my university classes in person. Um, yeah, part of it is online because I build out the case studies. And then, even though like we're in person, like we'll like break into groups and it'll be like log in right here so you get the case study. But a, a fair amount of what I do is on actual chalkboards at a like 120 year old awesome university building. So, special chalk, which I love. Uh, New York Outcast. Uh, when did allow internet to Norton family app in place or we did allow internet. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so cellular lines are not necessarily fast enough. Yeah. I got five, I have five G here showing up on our, on my phone now. So whether it's good or bad, I don't know. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Andrew saying homework is unconstitutional violates the first, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth and third and 13th. So, yeah, God, I remember a lot of homework as a kid. So, uh, it's a lot. Kind of go back and I'm thinking, you know, all the days when it would be nice, you know, 65, 70 degrees and sunny and, you know, 6.30, 70, you start homework. But there was still like a good 45 minutes of time to be outside, but you had to do homework. I like, those are robbed hours. We'll never get back. So feel bad about that. Um, so let me do this. I'm going to read, and I'm going to bring this over here for all of us. I'm going to read some of the book, my book. Oh, not, I just increased it to 2,340%. It's not what I want. So that'd be a bit much. Um, I am, I, yeah, here we go. Dun -dun. Um, I have to go in and check if my books are checked out of the library. I think they were. So what did I do here? What happened, Doc? I was interviewed because um, now I'm, when was going on? I was interviewed um, the other day. There'll be more interviews. The, the Associated Press release for the book comes out April 11th. Um, and the reason we did it was to do it after the elections because um, the marketing plan was kind of like, we just thought it would be sucked up and it would be lost, you know, because everything now is about elections, April 5th. So like spread it out and do it after that. Um, and it's a Monday. 
So, but then there'll be a lot of media. There's a lot of media starting now, like people contacting me and interviews and stuff. And um, so it's interesting when people, uh, reporters interview you, I have like a two page kind of front and back points they go through and then, uh, you know, what the, what they take away sometimes isn't anything, anything that I talked about. Um, so I, I've really been hitting up the essential versus non-essential as a main point in the book and saying like all the information we received after that was different. Like if you're essential, you got a certain set of information versus non-essential and no one is a reporter is running with that. Um, so although I think it's like a big part of the book, I know it's a big part of the book. Okay. Right here. This is, let me do a little more here. Right. Uh, Breaking Parkinson's Law in Chicago. This is from the book. All right. And this is on page 75. So I'm going to read a little bit here. Breaking Parkinson's Law in Wisconsin, not in Wisconsin, Chicago. And please, if you um, consider this book, it's available from places that sell books, or contact your library and say, Philosophy of information, get it. Some one, one sentence email. They'll be like, yes. Okay, here we go. Breaking Parkinson's Law in Chicago. Prior to 2020, Aaron Sawyer's Redline VR, a virtual reality club and bar in the Ravenswood neighborhood of Chicago, was doing great business. His mega computers, 3D game configurations, and 360-degree immersive goggles and haptic wearables were something that people could not get at home. He offered the best zombie battling experience in the city. So much so that Sawyer considered opening a second location. Then the pandemic hit. Chicago city government started deciding which businesses were essential and thus allowed to operate and which were not. Redline VR was deemed, was not deemed essential. Under Mayor Lori Lightfoot's plan, Redline VR was allowed to reopen in phase four at 25% capacity. There was no phase five. There was no revenue coming into the business, so Sawyer pivoted again and again. Parkinson's Law states that work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. Linda Stone, the consultant who has studied attention behavior, found that during the pandemic, people were checking work emails at all hours of the night as their homes became their workplace. At the outset of the pandemic, many people left their office on a Friday, began working remotely the following Monday, and did not return to their offices. Many still have no return date in sight, and a significant number of positions have been permanently remote, have become. Uh, getting out of the home and into an office setting became an attractive option for some people. At home, the roles of spouse and mother and caregiver all intersect with the workday. Work now fills the physical space, once reserved for family and relaxation. The mind is not always able to differentiate between the two. It took several pivots before Sawyer realized that Redline VR could be of value for such workers. In mid-April 2020, Sawyer resorted to a GoFundMe campaign to keep his business afloat financially. But goodwill donations are not sustainable as a business plan. Redline VR was but one of many businesses in Chicago affected by the government's restrictions. By month's end, Redline VR was serving takeout cocktails. If people could not come in to play virtual reality games, they could come in to buy drinks to go. And, okay, with virtual reality gear available to use as they wait it, cocktails to go sometimes turned into $200 in arcade sales, Sawyer said, but that did not happen with the frequency needed to sustain a business. 
In May, June, Sawyer changed course again. Redline VR needed regular revenue. Sawyer decided to market Redline VR as an office, office space. I said, I gotta be a phase three business. Sawyer said, offices are a phase three business. The license to have an office is just $250. Redline VR rebranded to offer rented office space at just $15 for the day. Curtains and separators are put up so people could keep their social distance and have a workspace of their own away from home and family. Figure 4.2, there it is. That's the ad. So, okay, and that's how much I can read. Dun, dun, dun. So, um, yeah. So it goes on more about kind of what, what happened after that. But um, And it all started out with a couple people knocking on the door, which probably I should have put in there. But, um, and that's, you know, I, I think I kind of, get into that, but um, people saying, I need to do this. I need to get out of the apartment and a place to work. And you, you've got great air conditioning and Wi-Fi, and you kind of already have office spaces set up. So let's make this happen. Um, it really gets into normalcy bias, what we're used to. And then when things break up, um, we try to get back to a normalcy. This is part of a normalcy part of our routines, part of our Taurus, as from School of Airs, Taurus, right, Vanessa, Taurus. And the routine of having a place to go, get up, do things, get dressed, pack your laptop bag, go to work, coming back. This was restoring routine. This was, this was very um, necessary for some people to uh, um, overlay a sense of control on their lives. So... It's an awesome chapter in the book, um, and yeah, it, it, it's 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 a it's so special because had I not had Chad not mentioned that to me, it never would have come together. I didn't know that this it, it happened. So um, yeah, so it's cool. It's cool. Um, so let's see here what's uh, what's happening for post. Um, Vanessa saying, indeed, home office makes a significant chant in interaction with uh, work. So, um, yes. Look at Andrew. I had a 23K modem when all my friends had 56 baud. I remember those days. I remember dialing into my local place. And when the guy left that, that was like the technician there, he like wiped out everybody's email. <laughs> so small town when I was in college, um, after college, like I, I stayed there for a couple of years um, when I got my job. But um, in other news, uh, there are still our kids around. Yes. Um, so 300 uh, baud was fun. Ever sent files to Germany from Alaska? Whoa. At 300 baud. I assume that took a long time. I was reading... I shouldn't say this. I wasn't reading. I saw um, a documentary on, I don't know, is it USC with uh, submarines, the kind of the, the the current in use submarines. And if you took the data used to to run the submarine, um, all of its systems, if you had CDs for data, you know, compact disc, it would be the equivalent of compact disc stacked as high as the Empire State Building. So. 
which is kind of impressive, but I'm kind of like, so what, like a thumb drive? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, you know, how sophisticated it is, I get it. But um, I think that the video had been out there a little while, but I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure like I have a hard drive that could also could, could do that. Just, you know, how right, how technology goes. Wasn't it like the, the, the first space shuttle um, had to have so many manuals? Was it Columbia? Like had a ton of manuals um, on it, um, like flip binders and stuff like that. Just um, se probably several hundred pounds, which then, <laughs> you know, got moved over to computer files. So the old days. Oh, my God. I didn't know this. Finesse. It took a week with three minutes a call uh, throughout the day. Oh, my God. Back with the old 300 baud. So, oh, my goodness. Interesting. I had a Palm Pilot in high school. Played, uh, was it Mahjong Tiles game? So much fun. Yeah, I had a, my, um, when I left my internship in for my first job, they gave me a Palm Pilot, um, which, you know, like at a going away party, which was a pretty cool thing. Um, yeah, I forgot about how I remember everybody talking about invest in the Palm Pilot. Whoever makes that, like, you know, I don't, I don't know if there was a Palm Pilot or if it was made by, made by like brother, the people make the printers. I don't know who made Palm Pilot, but, um, and then of course, you know, it just kind of got sucked into the phone technology, but, um, I liked it, um, without a doubt. Uh, I think I would, uh, I kind of miss not having a Palm Pilot type device that I can write on. Like I, I would like to get a notepad type device that I could actually write on with a stylus. So I've been thinking about this. If I get elected to city government, I want to right off the bat have a, a system for all of the data, like all of the minutes, you know, the stuff that gets sent before minutes, of course, they, they give you a laptop. So everything's supposed to be on the laptop and you communicate in email because you don't want to use your private email and stuff like that because there can be records requests. So everything needs transparency. But I need to develop some system. And I've been thinking like, you know, for all of the phone calls, you'll get, you know, once you get into city government, I want to, you know, document the time, but then I want like the, the document linked into that lap, that laptop or if someone, you know, leaves a message that then I would kind of transcribe it or I could save it as an audio message and put it like in a file with the date and maybe like a little metadata. So if someone called and said, Hey, like I, I called you about the, um, looking into a stop sign, you know, like down from us or something like that. I could go back and get that that file and kind of almost have it searchable so I could like type in stop sign or because um, I think if I do it with some kind of um, logical system from day one, it will work really well. But I thought at first I was going to like use a kind of spiral notepad and just like write stuff down. And but then like it just over time, it wouldn't be very easy to search. So I want to keep electronic and then also keep it with the city issued laptop. If again, I get so, and I got to figure out how I'm going to, to do that, but I have some ideas. So, um, and of course with a, with your cell phone, right. You can take pictures of things. 
So here's an example, like someone might call and say, hey, like, you know, the the snow plow missed like an area in front of our house or something, and um, or this is happening hypothetically. Like I could go there and I could take the picture and then upload it with the file into, I don't know, like a Google Drive or some drive so that all the data would be there together. I'm trying to, to figure that out. Um, so this is uh, Eric coin i was kicked off of a bulletin board in 1995 by the mod host owner because my modem was too slow my mo- 1.25 old laptop hand me oh my god that's hilarious wow um when i was in so eric coin thanks if you haven't subscribed please do so um so when i was in college um i so i was back in the early 90s um we, I had an Apple IIe that had a, a printer with the, the little the holes in the print paper, the spool feed stuff, which was really loud, like the Apple IIe printer. And then I had two floppy disk drives, and then the green monitor sat on top. <laughs> and, um, and that was it, you know. Um, so no color, right? And... That was, yeah, it was pretty wild. Uh, but no internet. We didn't have, um, we didn't have internet back then. So the university got it, I think, my last year there. So it was experimental. You could get an email address through the university, but you could only log on at a university lab. And remember the labs used to be a big deal too. Remember that? They had the they had special rules. Times you had to sign up for things. And this is a true story. So when I was in college, um, the computer lab, it this one lab, I don't know where, might have been Stephen's point where I was at. Um, so, you know, people are working away. And all of the computers were plugged into, like, power strips, but it wasn't just, like, power strips. It was designed for this room. But this is, we're talking, like, I'm 30 years ago. So all you could see everything plugged in. And then as you walked in, there were switches to turn on the different, like this wall of computers, this wall, this wall. And then there's also like a light switch. I don't remember how this exactly played out, but the um, one of my friends, Elliot, was leaving and he turned off what he thought was the light switch and it wasn't intentional. I think there, there was something happening. Like, um, he, I I don't know if someone, I don't remember the whole thing. If the light was coming through the window and people are like, well, let's cut the overhead lights. It wasn't done on purpose. I mean, I guess it was done on purpose, but it wasn't done maliciously. So he, he went and he flipped, but when he flipped, all the computers went off. And at that time, like you had to regularly be saving your stuff to your, floppy drive and stuff like that so like all these people are just looking at him and like that you know he boots it back he turns it back up and so if you whatever if you hadn't saved stuff for like 50 minutes like it's all gone and i i was in there and i was like oh my god and he's like i'm so sorry and but yeah um yeah i just i remember the the computer labs as being just a, a kind of a really unwelcoming place in college. I don't remember one computer lab that had a good feel to it. 
like you're it was you're inconveniencing the university by by doing that so look at this eric you are a good person buddy um yeah i don't know so this is andrew to new york outcast yeah government always abuses things it hands out into it's like 2004 the city of philadelphia would spy on high school kids to see who's doing drugs imagine how many pedos tried to watch kids oh my god i hope that i hope that's not the case i um but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of those early networks were really in, or, or really not secure with security protocols. So, um, yeah, I I remember early in my career, early, uh, a school librarian um, once was in a district I was working with saying, "Hey, here I want to show you, like I can show you like all the kids over there in the computer lab, <laughs> what each of them is looking at." Here's this person's looking at this, this person looking at this. It was all like appropriate, but it was all, it was kind of weird. Like, I'm like, uh, I get like that you have to do this, but I don't know if the kids really also knew that all of their searches and all of their computer stuff was being watched in real time. It was just, I don't know. It was, it was just kind of weird. Um, hey, Eric here, Wisconsin. Well, great, buddy. Yeah, I'm down here in southern Wisconsin here. Well, near Madison, not in Madison, but um, yeah. All right. So I um, I am not sure what's up with the cold weather. So yikes. I grew up in northern Wisconsin. So thought going to southern Wisconsin would bring me closer to the equator. Give me the warm weather. Hasn't worked out that way. Not this year. Um your podcast. If you look up something like camping gear and ammo next, um, yeah, uh, you, you the thing you know about your job of education is in question. Yeah, no, you're right. Right. Yeah. Searches. There would be things like that happening later in my career, like the high school. Um, so what, when kids would search at high school, the, there, were, there were programs and the district had that if certain terms came up, then... The, an administrator would be alerted of saying, Hey, like this kid search, like this term, I don't know, maybe it's gun or something like that. So then, um, the administrators would bring kids in and say, Hey, like you are searching for this and this and this. And most of the time it was within, there was a reasonable reason to do that. Right. And kids would come in and say, yeah, it was part of whatever, or this, or, or, um, so the system wasn't very good. Like it was flagging a lot of kids for a lot of things that, and I, th and back then too, then it, I think it, it really kids are like, I didn't know, like, you know, I was, this was being, you know, searched or, 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 or this was triggering something. Um, so I don't know if the tech, I, these systems exist today. They're very much in schools. Uh, when kids are searching things that um, website, certain websites or trigger words go over to to staff. But um, this is uh, Andrew Alt F give uh, gives you all the answers. Every computer lab from nineteen ninety nine. I didn't know that. I wish I would have known that. Going back to nineteen ninety nine, this is Bacon. Everyone seems sick of it by the time second mass mandates came around. So I don't have I don't have the context for where that one came out, but. Um, 
I meant, uh, bet they still Andrew. So everyone's like listening right now saying, Doc, you're, you're kind of out of sequence. Um, Vanessa saying, set up a LAN to play Doom, local area network, right? On the company's computer uh, for after hours play. That's cool. That is cool. Oh, Eric, outside of Kenosha. Yeah. All right. I know where that is. Um, well, welcome, welcome, welcome. And what's happening to the Packers? All the wide receivers are leaving. So, yikes. Um, I had a wacko college professor. This is our good friend, Andrew, um, that told us to Google something. And then right after that moment in class, I Google those words and add his name to the search. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. That is that is hilarious, Andrew. So, um, so one that's funny. I, thanks for sharing that. I I get uh, so a couple things are happening now. Um, one is I am uh, I'm getting more emails from people who want to want to inscribe copy of the velocity of information, and which is great. But also I don't really have a system set up for that. The school of errors. I mean, some people got a hold of me and said, uh, could you sign a copy? Or like they would say, I'm going to send you my copy and, and like money to send it back or something. <laughs> I had some people do that, which was fine. So then I would, you know, but now I'm kind of in a, I don't know if it's a predicament because the book is sold through under a publishing contract through publishers. So I don't, um, it's, I think if you self-publish, it would be an easier route to get a hold of books to sign and then send out. Because like, if I do this, which I will do for people, but I have to let them know, I'm like, I, you know, like, here's what you have to pay for the book. So I can't offer you a price that's different than what the publisher's price is. Plus you have to pay shipping. I'm glad to do that. So like, you don't have to order a book and then ship it to me and incur that. And then like, you know, we can cut out one step there, but, uh, but people are like, sure. And so I'll be like, well, it's quite a bit for that. It, you know, you're still up and they're like up, up for it. And like, yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, but I don't have the books. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't have like a supply. Well, you're looking back at me. You're like, doc, you're, you're lying, buddy. What are those back there? I'm like, yeah, those are books, but like, those are books, which are going to, um, family or uh, there's two of those that are going to uh, two, di two, two different libraries. So like, I don't have like a stock of books to resell. Um, so it's something I've got to think about here in the next day or two of how do, how do I respond to that? Because um, I definitely, I, I want to accommodate people, especially if they're, if they're willing to, you know, to pay for that. Um, I've got the really neat stamp here. Da -da -da. So, and, and yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's really cool to get those requests. Um, but I don't, again, don't really have a system in place. So I'm building that out and now it's not going to be on a website or anything. It's kind of a case by case thing, but like, so how do you, so <laughs> if they're in the U S and people are not, they're all over the world who are contacting me. So I'm like, give me your address and I then will go to the post office with the book and I'll say, how much will it cost to send this book to this address? And then they'll say, here it is. So then I get a hold of the person and say, okay, here's the cost of the book. 
here's the cost of postage. And so you have to send that to me. So, um, so, all right. So bacon, that's what I'm kind of trying to figure out here is what, uh, embossed copy. Holy smokes. Wow. Um, that'd be kind of cool to get like a little embosser type thing. I've got the stamp, which worked out well. Um, so, but yeah, so it's going well. Um, I'm planning to send out a copy of the, whoa, look at this, Vanessa. It's awesome. That is awesome. I will, well, and then you will get the official st stamp that I had made, but you're kind of looking at this, but um, it's it's cool. And then I sign it with a Montblanc pen and uh, put a nice inscription in there for you. And um, yeah, so I'll do, do a good job with that. So um, people have, um, you know, I've got some out to family and some relatives and I've got a couple more to get out, but, uh, they're, they're excited. I, I usually take like a sentence from the book as a quote. So when you see it at the front, it might not make a lot of sense. I mean, it won't be totally senseless, but you'll, there'll be a point you'll get to the book and say, ah, okay, here's where that sentence came from. So, um, yeah, so that is going, that's going well. Um, I, I was having a conversation with someone a couple of days ago and we we're talking about like the book and kind of like just how, when you get to this stage, the, you know, the book is releasing this week and, you know, sending out the, a couple, you know, books, books are, you know, donating the books to library. But, um, somebody said, was, was asked, what's, what's the coolest thing, um, so Eric is saying, are they available on Amazon? They are. Uh, once it is intro to each of your books, can you give? Um, okay. So, yeah. Um, if you just type in my name, there's an author page. I have two books. One is School of Errors. School of Errors is the most book, most honest book ever written about the $3 billion school safety industry, which also became a PBS special. Da -da -da. Um, so this book came out in 2019. And this, again, through a publishing house. Uh, this is in hundreds, hundreds of libraries across the world. But School of Errors, the most honest book ever written about the $3 billion school safety industry. And the velocity of information is um, this one releases on Friday. And this is the uh, preeminent book for understanding how humans process information 90 days into chaos. So during long chaos events like we're in right now again, between inflation and military conflict and as we were before with pandemic and social unrest. Um, so the velocity of information, 10 interviews, uh, historical components in there too. Awesome. A lot of uh, photos, diagrams, uh, custom made stuff like that. So most honest book ever written about school safety became a PBS special. And then the only book right now that's out there that's telling you about what's up with how people process information after we've had 90 days of chaos. So as compared to like a tornado, you know, which is a one day event of the tornado. Like when the tornado is done, you know, the tornado is not coming back. You have a lot of things to do afterwards with a tornado strike, obviously. Right. But, um, you know, imagine if, you know, you had 90 
consecutive days of tornadoes. Like, so, you, you know, you have 90 days of pandemic, like, and you don't know when it's going to end. So we also depict in here, what happens with crowd in behavior? What do people do when they don't think things are going to get better? Well, they change. They, they significantly change their behavior. Um, they start to buy like video games and Netflix and puzzles and food and surround themselves with things that make themselves feel comfortable. But they also have, if you ask them, when is this going to get better? They'll be like, I don't know. I'm just like trying to get through it. So that's the difference. Like once you believe you're in this like deep chaos thing and it's not going to get better, you kind of wall yourself out from the outside world, which we saw. And we're kind of seeing it again with inflation, with, um, you know, um, possibly you know, where the conflict the conflict can go with uh, Russia and Ukraine people are starting to be like nope <laughs> I am I'm not putting myself out there and this is I think one of the reasons you have so many people like you know not committing to to new jobs um you know the housing market is starting to cool entrepreneurs I mean to, but people are just like I'm not sure um so um Okay. Your Gaucast is saying, do you have a, a web store? I don't. Um, however, there are many, if you don't want to deal with Amazon, there are many bookstores, um, Barnes and Noble. Um, my, my publisher's site is right here. And you can get the book from there. Um, but I would say, you know, your local bookstore, We'll, we'll be able to get it for you. Um, again, I don't sell direct because I, um, I this is through a publishing contract, so the publisher uh, is the distributor. But I do, of course, um, have the ability to acquire some books. And actually, it's kind of a priority thing, too, because now that, same with School of Errors. Like School of Errors continues to sell very well, and it's coming out in paperback July 15th and audio, which I narrated. But... Um, delayed paperback because it's continued to sell well. So that's hard copy $30. I don't know paperback what it'll be, but it'll be less. School bears. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't have, I don't have like a stock of books here to, to sell. And so when people contact me, um, it takes a little while for me to get books. So <laughs> I actually, that's something I should, should change is, I, I probably I should try to get a little more of a supply, but the publisher too. Once so, demand hits, they're getting books out to libraries that are buying, you know, universities, public libraries, and and uh, people, right? So then my order gets pushed down as an author. If I'm saying I need five copies, ten copies, they'll be like, okay, it's going to be a month <laughs> because, like, you know, they're. These people are slotted ahead of you. Uh, so, yeah, I got to figure this out a little bit um, to get a couple more in stock here because over time, like, there will always be people who will contact, or especially with School of Airs because that's tied in with the PBS special, which airs on a regular basis. Um, that thing is in pro that thing is showing, like, somewhere every, every minute of the day. Um, it is so ingrained in the programming across the country. That's my 2019 PBS presentation, uh, School Safety in America, Rhetoric versus Reality. Like people will, 
I'll wake up, yeah, and it'll be like, hey, like here I'm in South Florida or Nebraska or I'm in Reno, and you know, and it's my my email's on the first slide, so that's how people find that. And I really liked it, or like you know, tell me more about the book, or um, so even in my where I live now, some people have started to call me the uh, the guy that was on TV. So, um, yeah. So, dun, dun, dun. let's see. Vanessa wrote a uh, review for School of Aris, and I greatly appreciate it. So, thank you, Vanessa. Um, New York Outcast, yeah, I don't have a, a web store. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I could actually kind of merch out because, like, the Safety Doc logo and, like, the, the Avatar logo and all of that, like, I own that. Like, I had all of that made. And actually, I own the images. So uh, there is an opportunity to merch out a little bit of this. Like, I think a T-shirt that said, like, face validity, you know, from the book, right? Or finite voltage with a lightning bolt. Like, that would sell. Like, I think, or a coffee cup or something. Like, I I would, I think that would go. And uh, so if anyone wants to approach me on a partnership deal on something like that, uh, let me know. Because I own all the rights to that stuff. Um, inflation is growing fast. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, crazy. Um, same for survival mode. Uh, you argue in and do things based on survival and holding out minimal, uh, maxing things. I found it hard to get survival mode due to anxiety. Yeah, Sippy's saying. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, one of the one of the themes of well again the velocity of information is so also once there's a a significant um, chaos event like a like the pandemic or you know military conflict or you could even I mean I wrote about it in here too like inflation rapid inflation which ironically like I wrote about that a year and a half ago in that section of the book um, could be a a chaos event. Um, you know, information really speeds up and it kind of over, overwhelms people. Uh, and people have a hard, after, after about 60 days of a chaos event, so let's say it's either a pandemic, military conflict, inflation, uh, protests, things like that, that's where people start to lose their edge on being able to process things. And then it, it, once you get to 90 days, a lot of people start falling off and they're like, I'm just burned out with this. I have no patience for this. I'm languishing. You know, I want things, quote unquote, to return to normal and stuff like that. And you start to see this big kind of drop off in, in society, uh, meaning people are just kind of checking out at that point. So that's a big, and when you do that, once you get to 60, 90 days, people aren't processing the information very well anymore because it's called like a wet bulb effect, which we'll get into different show, but you get so much information Imagine a sponge that just can't hold any more water. It just kind of keeps going off of the sponge, right? Can't absorb any more water. So, and when you get to that point of 60 to 90 days in chaos, it's hard to communicate with people. So, and I wrote about that in the book, like in World War II, the military, not during World War II, but the uh, civilian, uh, Committee for Civilian Morale realized that, that they're like, we can't, People, people aren't going to interact with us. They're not going to engage with us in text format. We have to use visuals. We have to use images because 
they're already saturated. They're kind of burning. They're burning out. They're overwhelmed. They're anxious. So they switch to like the road to victory campaign, a lot of images. And that's, and that's something I actually mentioned. I believe I mentioned it in my statement at the uh, political debate on Saturday, as I said, you know, we get, we had just received a newsletter from the city, from city hall. And while it was thorough, like, I don't know if there were any images in it. And so that's the thing. Like if you send out something from city hall on a quarterly basis or twice a year or whatever, um, you know, updates on the city, like half of that should be photos. Like here's the new road or here's some new equipment for the fire truck, or here's like a person that took over now that is our city inspector or whatever. Like there should, our church does this really, really well. So they're doing this massive renovation that's almost complete. And every Monday they send out a one page newsletter and half of it is pictures of what's happening. And the other half is like descriptions of the things but initially started as a narrative of maybe like three to five pages saying, oh, we're doing this and this and this. And then they, they evolved it. And now it's like really streamlined and cool. Um, which let me see if I can actually find. And that's one thing I brought up as I said, you know, citizens just aren't going to engage with, um, with this stuff, you know, like they want to see and, and pull information off of the visuals. So, I don't know here, so I don't know. I don't know who sends it out from the church. So here it is, weekly renovation report. Um, no, it's even in PDF. So let me bring it up. So it's our church. And uh, so this is it. It's one page. So let me zoom in on it here. So this used to be like a three-page, when this initially started back like two years ago on the church project, and this was what the church looked like two years ago right up here. And the church is 170 years old. Yeah, I was um, on the church grounds committee, so I did a, a lot of the groundskeeping um, with people. It wasn't just me. Um and I was up in the steeple, <laughs> which was like, it's all like redone now. And it's got fire suppression, stuff like that. Um, and this, the basement of this thing was, was just insane. It was, you know, like four, four foot and all old, you know, just a rock basement. But um, so this church has been completely rebuilt and they put the entrance over here. But so what they did is they had this three to, page, three to five page newsletter that came out and I don't know, I assume someone gave feedback saying, this is great, except like, I want to see what's happening. And so what they did is they came out with a one page. So they're like, okay, here, look at the front. These are the front steps. They're gone. So here's the front steps of the church. They're gone now because the church is on the other side. Here is um, entrance lighting. Okay. Here's a picture of it. Entrance lighting. Very easy. What is this? more utility work. So then they have a picture so you can see it and some of the utility and stuff. So right here, right, this this newsletter, uh, this, and let's give a shout out to whoever does this. Well, it's not on here, but um, this is so well done. It comes out every Monday and this is issue 42 of the renovation project. So they've done 42 of these. But this is where we, hey, welcome Robert Ribbit Harrison, Zero White Oil. This is where I believe um, 
communications and organizations typically fall apart. And I'll use city government as an example, just city government in general. Um, I have never lived in a city that has streamlined communications to be kind of like this. Again, this is a page, but let's say it has to be more than a page because it's some safe stuff. But look at this. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six images on this page. So you're wondering, what are the updates? How is, how's the money being spent that we've contributed to this project? Here, look at this. Wow. Well, here, you know, look at this. Look at, and it gives context. And I think people would be, would serve, this would serve people really well. Um, so that, that was, that's my point. I'm going to use this actually, if I do get, if I am elected, I'm going to bring this out and say, I know, I think we should, we should have something like this on a more regular basis. And that's just email, right? That gets sent out to people could subscribe. I know you, and you could postal, right? I guess, you know, you have to do it. If you did color, it costs a lot, but you could have people subscribe or you could just, you could post it up on your district or, or your, you know, the civic web page or your, your city government, right? Um, and people could, could download it. Maybe it's a one month newsletter that's downloadable. I mean, your schools did that. And I, I, I would just load it up with photos because that's the thing people, a lot of questions came up from people of saying, what is the city done with these tax dollars for whatever? And some of that could be answered, but then it, you know, if you had pictures of it, it gives a greater context. Oh, well, there's work done on these two roads or whatever. So like the people that don't know those two roads are like, where, <laughs> where is this in the city? What does this look like? What you're talking about what's being done or something was lowered or there was something done with a curb or some trees were cut down and they're being, the stumps are being ground. Like give a photo, like show us kind of where you're, which park is this? Or there's a, there's a, something new with new piece of equipment at a park. Um, and, and I, I think, or, you know, somebody new starts, right? Like, you know, um, I think it goes a long way with people. Not only I think, I believe it. I know from the science it does that people remember images, um, uh, you know, in communication uh, better than they do um, the narratives that go with them. So I just, I think it's, a, it's, it's essential in um, civic uh, communication to do that. So it is our good friend. Robert Ribbit Harrison, and uh, I need to schedule um, my oil changes for about three weeks out. So um, then I think it's it's been about six months for each vehicle, which sounds long, and it is, but I don't know, less than 4,000 miles, and it's full, full synthetic Robert on both. So, um, but yeah, everything needs to be just, just oil change. I have a real, I have a wonky thing with my windshield wiper where it doesn't sometimes work, but, um, lots of churches have some crazy history. They don't like to talk about it worked for a few and was shocked. Whoa. New York outcast. Yeah. This is, so this was one of the first substantial buildings in our community. You know, this thing was like 1850. Yeah. I, re I remember, you know, being on the buildings and grounds committee, like we'd, we'd go down, into the boiler area, right? Yeah, and um, 
you know, it was just at that point, what can be done to keep this place going until there's the major renovation? So it was like 10 years ago. But uh, I re I, it was really freaky in the basement because it was all dirt floor and, you know, again, maybe four foot high ceiling. And then a lot of the stuff that used to be in the church at some point was just kind of stored in the basement, like just put down there. So like an old statue might have been down there for 110 years on its side in a corner. It just is really, really weird. Um, so, but yeah, so the building, the building was basically the main, the church stayed and then it, the entrance moved to the other side and it was added on. So basically did a 90, 90 degree turn um, is how they, they did it. So uh, pretty cool. Um, but uh, yeah. So, doing oil change Saturday in the driveway. If it's 60, Vanessa, go for it. Yes. Uh, I love washing our vehicles too, but, you know, it's like 25 degrees right now. But, oh, and it's summer, having the radio on, big couple soapy buckets and just spend hours, just, you know, washing, detailing, catching rays. That's really good stuff. Um would help explain your tax dollars at work signs. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that's the thing too. So one of the statements was, well, when we do road projects and there's a wheel tax, we put signs up, which they do. But if you're not in that area, you, so if you're a resident, you're like, okay, I can see that my, the wheel tax is maybe paying for this road. But if you're not in that area, you don't understand, you don't know that. So that's where I think having, some of these, you know, I, I would go through and I think, you know, like all of, all of the city kind of branches of government or even branches of government or services, but, um, you know, uh, the, the city garage, right. Um, city water and sewer, uh, police, you know, fire, kind of some of the obvious, but, um, I, I think there are opportunities to go in and, you know, you don't have to be exhaustive of every every single thing, but I, I think increasing that type of very visual communication with people and, and showing things is a big step. I had a friend who was a school superintendent in a very large school district, very large, like one of the biggest in the country. And that was his that was his thing. Like he was totally he's like, we just saturate our communication with images, not just images of like kids at recess or something, but you know, like um, if it's a referendum and some things are being updated or, you know, like here's whatever, or there's some new, Hey, you know, like the, the crosswalks just got painted by, you know, Franklin elementary school. So like, here's the new, um, you know, and, and for the crossing, which I guess the city would kind of do that, but I mean, things like that. So things that were very, um, and, and yeah, so by the way, like, uh, so we have, we have, um, you know, crosswalks are very close to the school campus here. And I was, um, reading about, um, 3M has a new crosswalk, uh, paint, which even during the day has like a very high re reflective quality. And I want to learn more about that. If I'm elected, I want to talk to our, you know, the city works department. And then also, you know, maybe reach out to 3M and say, 
hey, like, what is this stuff? Um, because anything we could do in that area to enhance, um, I think would be 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 worth it. So, um, yeah. Um, New York Outcast. I doubt it was just for sports a hundred years ago. Wow. Robert, um, make sure you do the kit every three months of not driving to the mileage. 120 days on synthetic. Yeah. Right. So that's a thing like um, I need to, that's why I'm getting them in because we're, you know, we're the one is hitting 120 days and mine is beyond 120 days. So, um, but each are under 4,000 miles. But yeah, of course, you know, winter and temperatures and condensation and all of that. So, um, the, so Robert, like our, uh, <laughs> you know, when we, we take, we take the vehicles in to be serviced. Both are still under warranty and stuff, but it's amazing because like, there'll be the, the, um, dealership will be like, uh, you wouldn't believe how many people just don't change their oil. Like just don't change it. Or they'll come in because the light is on, engine light or whatever, and it's like, you know, last oil change we have on record was 21,000 miles ago. Have you changed it somewhere since then? No. What? <laughs> and just how so – that was one of the reasons I really chilled to buying a used vehicle is I I bought a used vehicle once that had some previous um, weather damage that I wasn't aware of at the time that I bought it. And then had issues with that, big issues with that vehicle, but of how people care for things, right? So, um, Robert, you can probably like attest to this, but I have a friend who's a mechanic and he said, oh God, you can, people can ruin a vehicle in easily in the first 10,000 miles um, if, you know, they're not taking, taking care of it, right? Um, so yeah, you know, you might you might think you're getting something that's really a, a deal, and it's it's been uh, taken uh, really taken to the edge. So, um, but yeah, all of our vehicles are well cared for. So, um, drive truck in the backyard, get smoker going in wash and detail. Oh, that sounds good. Um, I used to listen to. Um, yeah, baseball games, like Major League Baseball, turn it on. Now I kind of just listen to podcasts. Um, Robert Ribbon Harrison, maintenance, maintenance is everything. Yeah, absolutely, buddy. Um, and here, one thing, too, is like getting the salt off. So, you know, a couple times in the winter when it warms up, and then as soon as it's, uh, you know, warm enough in spring to take a lot of time and hose down the undercarriage of the, the vehicle, Um because this, our floor looks like a, like a you know dried up ring around Salt Lake <laughs> in our garage. Uh, there was actually yeah a crust of of salt that I had to, I soaped up the floor and I scrubbed it down with a heavy brush to put it down to drain. I'm like it's from the cars. I'm like hopefully smokes. I think the Onion had an article way back during the Iraq War. and taxpayers can donate their money to have their name on a bomb that's dropped on a wedding party. Oh my goodness! I used to get the Onion in um, in paper format uh, when it was kind of new. It was maybe I would say circa ninety six, ninety seven. I subscribed 
as a paper subscriber, it used to arrive. Uh, what was it? Once, once a month or once every two weeks or something. So, I, oh, let me go back to that, Andrew. I, I um, ran a parody college newspaper, a little fact here for the doc, back in 1990 to 1992. Um, I have, uh, and it was uh, the community college I attended, and. What how I did it is I took regular like the college the newspaper and like regular newspapers and I would cut them up and then like superimpose people's heads over things and do like little articles and stuff like that. And I'm looking over here because I have most of the original editions and then I in a folder. And uh, but I don't have the whole collection. Um, there's one person, Jim Fermanic, if you know him out there, Jim Fermanic. Uh, did have the whole collection at one point. What I would do is I would bring in dimes and the library had a copying machine. And I think it was, it was, I think I did a front, no, it was a front page only. And I would bring in, you know, dimes, like, I don't know, $5 in dimes. And I would so I'd make 50 copies and I just gave them out and they were really popular. Um, so and they were hilarious. They were kind of onion-like. I mean, there was no cursing in it or, you know, um, uh, any type of grotesque things that you would censor. It was, it was a, it was all parody. And, um, and the, it, it became like, yeah, this, this kind of big hit on campus. Um, so back around 90, it was, it was very early onion-ish onion-ish type thing. But I mean, it was literally like cutting and pasting and taping. And then I'd have like the one sheet I would bring with me and put it on the copier and go to town. And they were always gone. Like um, I would put them down in the, it wasn't like just one person grabbing them, you know, like they were all over. Um, so anyway, it was kind of a, it was kind of a cool, and I didn't think about that until just recently somebody had mentioned to me, Hey, remember when you used to do the whatever? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> now that you, you mentioned it and I, I was going through my folder and I found some, so they're hilarious, but, uh, look at Vanessa, 230,000 miles on the Ranger. So, uh, bacon saying, I, I feel free having that reservation, getting a used vehicle. I always look for ones with signs of overheat. They, it overheated. It's exactly what happened. The engine seized while I was in the interstate. Um, last thing you want is a warped head turning your oil and chocolate milk. Yep. So I think I had like 29,000 miles on it too, but and then I, it was before they really had a good way to learn of the history, even though like that's still fuzzy, but that, like there's um, the point I'm at in life now is like, that's it. There's no, not that I'm a, a big time, big spender or whatever. I mean, we keep things for a long time, but it's just, I do not trust the system of used vehicles unless I'm buying something really, really super low for, whatever but um so you should uh good got my wife a 22 nissan ultima midnight edition whoa it's fast car that's awesome robert wow awesome um new york outcasts i've had my used 95 chevy uh 1500 for 15 years i put less in it than spending payments yeah you bet totally got it over the 15 years yep i'm with you on that 
Uh, new cars are junk and not made to last more than seven years by most manufacturers. Yes. Yeah. No, you got it. Um, Doc, did your church own that home to the west of it? Google Street shows there's a house. Uh, a house was there in 2018. Now it's a parking lot. Well, look at this, Andrew. Holy smoke. Um, so, yes, that was the priest house, um, I guess is what you'd call it. And the, it was, you know, 120 years old and hadn't been maintained. So that was then torn down. Um, and now it's a parking lot, right? So that, uh, but yeah, before that, that was the priest house. That's where we used to meet. So for the buildings and grounds meetings. And now the priest lives, the um, parish bought a home, uh, a newer home in a subdivision in town um, for the priest. So yeah, the, that building was far, <laughs> it was far gone, man. It was like leaning and there wasn't, there wasn't much it could be done with, with that thing. So um, now it is a, a parking lot. Yeah. Uh, but it's pretty, I mean, it was pretty, it was also kind of cool because uh, the woodwork in it was neat. Although it wasn't like anything spectacular of like worth maintaining, you know, like to take it all apart and reassemble it somewhere else. But um, yeah, well, look at that Google street. So that, um, so that the church is, and actually it's good that they're removing the steps because the steps came out like very close to the street. Like there was a sidewalk and then the street was there. And the street is, is part of a, a major road, a state road that comes through. So, um, it is, it is good to like shift that entrance and get people away from that. That was never a good setup. Um, you know, back when the church was built, you know, that was just a small path that went through there. So the church is, is about a block from the Wisconsin river. Although the church is where it's elevated, like there would never be a flood where the church is. Um, but it is it's a block away from the Wisconsin river. Um, it looks good from the street, but yeah, some homes inside are falling apart. Yeah. So I haven't seen, yeah, outside of the, the things here, I haven't seen the new updates on the church, like in person, I'm no longer on the buildings and grounds uh, committee. I haven't been for like the last, I don't know, four or five years. So um, I'm be kind of as excited as everyone else to kind of check it out when it's all done. Um, I think there's some opportunity for the parish to maybe acquire a couple more properties for parking or just like a gathering area um, at some point in time. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, looks good from the outside. So let us talk about, um, let's talk about Parkinson's law. So again, Parkinson's law, um, by definition here, it was a, it's a, kind of a spoof, right? It's a comedy term from Cyril Northcote Parkinson um, wrote about it in the economist 1955 saying, Hey, like, you know, if I give you 10 hours to do something and it really would only take two hours, you're going to fill the whole time up. So think about like painting a fence, like uh, Danielson, Mr. Miyagi paint fence. So uh, 10 hours, Danielson's like, I do this in two hours, but I'll take the time for 10 hours. Um, or, the other thing is like people, if you, if you say do this and it's, you know, like an hour thinking and say, I'll come back in an hour. You're like, okay. And then person's starting, but if you come back and, and you say do this and you're done by the end of the day, you're like, 
it took me like an hour. So like, I'll do other things or I'll put it off. Parkinson's law also means people procrastinate until kind of the last moment. But I, but I said, there's a, there's a new definition that I wrote for it. And, um, my definition, which is in the book. So we'll see if it ever makes it over to dictionary or something. But I said that Parkinson's law also has another definition according to doc, which is, that your start and end time to an event needs to have a specific ritual associated with it. So Parkinson's law means, as I wrote in the book, going to like Redline VR from your apartment in Chicago, and then at the end of the day, like leaving there, packing up your stuff and and exiting. So it's like this routine. So that's kind kind of the thing. So right here, yep, Parkinson's law. And why Parkinson's Law in Chicago? Because it was a Redline VR place, which turned into a rentable office space. So you could rent a desk for a couple hours. And Aaron was telling me people like, um, what was it? Realtors started to go in and they would um, say, we need, we're we're closing on a property or something. And um, because I, I don't know. They didn't have any other place to meet or whatever, or, but they would, they would meet like at Aaron's a VR place. They would rent uh, some space and meet with people there to do the closing of a property. So, um, Hey, sp- this is not a spam. So don't, don't, um, eliminate spam bot fodder. Um, YouTube channel home renovision recently bought an overall church. They're documenting the process to turn it into home. That's cool. So let me know what you think in the, comments or in the chat do you th- would you be apprehensive about renovating a church because you think it'd be uh, uh haunted <laughs> like it, there'd be like ghosts if it would have bad bad vibes um i don't know i i i don't know how i would feel about that um yeah uh huh i don't know i don't know we have a couple churches in town that have been converted into apartments, but, uh, but yeah, overall church into a home. So I don't know. What do you think about living in like a, something that was once a, a funeral home? So where my, my mom was raised, um, the, house was uh at one point in time a funeral home so you know turn of the century something like that i mean well before you know she was there but and uh so that was that was always a stigma i guess on the house which yeah still there um but that that was the issue was that that house um i don't know but i've loved to restore an old place of worship yeah so could be pretty cool. Um, I like old uh, architecture. Like I, I have an interest in that. And we have plenty of that in our community, being one of the older communities in Wisconsin. Uh, and we have some people who have put the, the resources and time into you know uh, restoring their houses and, and businesses back to you know when they looked at the turn of the 19th 
you know, 1900s. So, which is really cool. I was like, oh my goodness, like that's so much work to, to do that. Um, so yeah, there's one place and I bike by it in town and they still have the, the slab of slate or granite out front and kind of near the sidewalk. And at, and I think the, the hitching post for the horse and it's authentic. Um, those were all, you had to remove those. I, I don't know, in like 1910 or something like that, because it was interfering with the ability to plow roads or maybe like 1920. But um, the way that this had been done, the sidewalk was after that. So, um, but it's pretty cool. Like, and they don't like, it's not really like pointed out a lot. It's not like it's a kind of a more of a subtle thing. Um, but so the thought was not the thought, but you would get out of a wagon, right? Or off of a horse, and then you would you would step down onto this stone so you didn't have to step all the way down like more formally when you're going to a house. That's pretty common, but then they got rid of those, right? Well, if you're trying to maintain streets or especially a snow, plow snow, maybe they're more popular in the southern US where you don't get snow, but um. But I always thought that was pretty cool. Um, make it livable, but maintain its character. Yeah, absolutely. Look at this, Bacon. I'd renovate an old church, turn it into a karaoke and dance bar and a virtual reality place. So, yeah, you could do all of those things. That'd be kind of cool. Um, so, all right. Um, so, my um, coming on deck here for me, I've got um, two mornings of narration coming up again this week. And, um, uh, after that, so let me look in, I don't know where I'm, I think I have, I am, I am at page. Oh, I still got a little ways to go here. Hmm. Yeah. So I have about, uh, 70 pages to narrate, maybe 75 left. Um, so that's that's probably about four days worth of narration, probably two this week and then two the next week. Um, so again, like we narrate and then correct things in the moment and re-narrate and take, you know, take breaks and stuff. But uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking we're on pace to get that out July 15th. I want to release it the same day that the paperback comes out. So you can always help me out by emailing your library and saying, Hey, I live here. I would appreciate it if you'd bring in school of Airs, the most honest book about school safety ever written entire world. And this brand new book, philosophy of information, how uh, human um, humans respond, how they think, how they function. 90 days into chaos events and how to build resilience. So the book is uh, coming out Friday, April 1st. So it's kind of a weird April fool's thing. Is it really the date? Yes, it is. We got moved up from the 11th to the first. Um, so people are like, Whoa, I'm like, yeah, it's actual. Um, so um, otherwise, uh, yeah. When I'm done here, I'm going to go up and load up some more firewood and I just kind of chill for the rest of tonight. And tomorrow I get a haircut and I have um, 
a few of my university uh, class final exams tomorrow. So those are starting. So people do the, they, I started the option uh, with during the pandemic that you could either do an, an in-person, not in-person, but a, a phone call, not a, not a Zoom. Not that you had to like try to pay attention or do a presentation, just a phone call. But it's not just a phone call. There's a rubric for it, right? And I go through and you kind of, you know, have to be answering questions as if you're presenting this like to a school board. And, and people do really good, uh, really good job with this. Um, and I was like, okay, got that. And, um, or they can turn in a paper. Always leave that option out there. Some people do the paper. It's kind of what they want to do. Um, but uh, so a spam bot fighter saying, I'm halfway through the velocity of information. All thumbs up. Thanks, buddy. I, I really appreciate it. Leave a good review. Amazon, I very much appreciate that. I'm excited to see the first few reviews come up, right? And get the ball rolling, <laughs> you know, a new book. And, you know, once it gets to April 1st, uh, after that, should start seeing some reviews up there. Um, and I, I know it's only going to be a short matter of time here. And we'll get to 50 reviews for School Bears because people have been emailing me saying, I just got done reading it and um, I'm going to write a review. But yeah, I want those reviews to come in with floss. And I love Spambot Fodder. Like, you know, send me an email. What did you, what did you like about it? What kind of resonated? And as, as you read through that, like, um, and I, again, I love the book. Um, I, I think it's, it stays really close to um, cont- reminding like, how does this impact information? How does this and chaos? Like, how is that intermingled? How does it dance throughout the whole book? Um, and the starting out with the um, essential versus non-essential, as you've already read um, it early on in the book, that I added a little bit later uh, when I was writing. I came back and and thought there there needs to be something at the start of the book to bring everybody in to a shared experience, right? And that was where I, it hit me. I was like, okay, we were all, we all woke up one day and we were essential versus non-essential. So think about the impact on that for information. You know, if you're essential versus non-essential, the type of information you got, the the impact that would have on like chaos and kind of your your assessment of of like, okay, this changes how I'm going to think about my job. Maybe not not only just now, but maybe going in the future. Like I'm going to try to to. Or is this like some kind of weird badging? Like if you're non-essential, that meant you were offloading your your risk onto an essential, like a store worker who might get $2 an hour or more. It's really this weird thing, right? You would no say it was arbitrary. So I think that is a, I and I love how, you know, using Carl Oswa, who, or not, no, Carl in Oswa, Carl Mankey in Oswa, Michigan. And, and um, and, and Carl, by the way, has the absolute coolest email. So we were making so many changes. We, you know, we were going back and forth. I didn't interview Carl because I didn't. I wanted to interview the stories about Carl. I didn't want to bring a perspective of an interview that early in the book. Um, I, so I wanted to just feature the story. So anyway, I love it. I, 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 and then I think it rolls. I think the book rolls really well. And again, um, I kept cutting and condensing without trying to, you know, I kept boiling it to figure out what can I still evaporate off of the book. So when somebody gets into it, it's really two, you know, maybe two nights if they're dedicated or it's not going to be too long to get through it. 
um, because I, I didn't I didn't want to have a, a lot of superfluous kind of stories. Um, I wanted to get them very concise, which I believe I did. So I mean, I, I absolutely love it. So thank you so much for getting the book. Thanks for uh, you know the feedback. And yeah, once you once you get in it, um, and let me know. I I want to know what parts resonate with people. Um, I've I've been coming back on essential versus non-essential, but then I also get into like the compliance behavior later in the book and kind of like uh, as I wrote about that, um, uh, the you know we just went through today the uh, you know the Parkinson's law, um, but yeah, let me let me know. Um, so Bacon's saying, were you going to write a third book to round out a trilogy? So. Uh, all right. So thanks for asking, Bacon. And before I answer that, um, when I finished my second PBS presentation, I, I, the folks at PBS said, I think so what the 2013 to 2016. So they said, we'll see you back in 2025 for the trilogy, something to that effect, you know, just kind of like a humor. Right. But also like, you know, I'm thinking, will I do a PBS trilogy? Cause I don't think I would do, I don't, I think if I ever present PBS, it'd be one more time. Not that I can just call PBS and say, Hey, I'm going to present, you know, but, um, I, I kind of think there is a, th a possible third PBS presentation that might, you know, but if it's school safety, I don't know, like that would be a little hard. Like, I think there could be one on the velocity of information themes of maybe we'll see. But again, it's not like I just have some button I can press and get into PBS programming, but is there a third book? Um, one of, I was interviewed for a news article and the reporter asked me that, what do you, what are you thinking for a third book? And I'm like, yeah. And I was cold to that idea a month ago. I was like, especially when you get done, a book is such a cathartic, a cathartic process. Like you, so much goes into it and you actually, you know, get it. But, um, I've, I think if I were to write a third book, it would be about, um, messaging and propaganda. One of my favorite books right here is just, a, it's a short book, um, Propaganda by uh, Edward Bernays. And, uh, you know, this one's been out there a while, but so this book, like 160 pages, but like, it's not a big trim. So if, if this was like in this the trim, I have, it's going to be like 140, but um, like kind of, kind of a modern version of propaganda. And I think getting into like deep fake propaganda avatars, and I don't want to get, I don't, I'm not a technical expert so much on that. So I don't want to, I don't want to delve into that, but I want to get into the psychological trust part of it. Right. Because any of us could have, um, any is Edward Bernays, the kind of, um, Bernays work. This is a great book, by the way. I got this one off of eBay for my maybe four bucks. I use this to inform when I was writing. I don't think I cited Bernays in one draft, but I don't know if I, he made it to the final. Um, propaganda, by the way, we think of it as bad, but it, you know, propaganda is what got us Yellowstone National Park. Um, so I, I, I would like to kind of talk, uh, not like, but I would like to focus on the, the way that propaganda can be weaponized, right? even in, in benign ways, um, putting like, you know, how Fox sports put fans in the stands that weren't there 
and they were open about it. They weren't trying to fool anybody, but they were saying just so when you watch games during the pandemic and people aren't here, it has more of a natural feel. But what what happens and how rapidly will things deteriorate for trust, right? If someone shows a video of, um, of this is really going to impact schools because a kid shows another, shows a video of a kid and in, in the video, it's a deep fake and it looks like the kid is smoking. So maybe there's like some app and, you know, like that's, so we see all the stuff that Reface can do. I'm not saying Reface is, is negative. I'm saying, but look at like, um, so suddenly, you know, this gets a little more refined in the next six months or a, a year. Um, and student sends it, gives it to a principal and says, hey, like this student was vaping or whatever. And now the student is kicked off of a sports team or kicked out of school. And, um, and the kid's like, I didn't do this. And they're like, well, here's the video, you know, and video proof, video evidence right now carries a lot of weight. Think about everything that's been happening on TV in the last two years. If you see a video of something before there's an investigation of it, the video is giving a lot of credence, even if it's from a one piece of evidence from an angle. Um, so, uh, you know, school administrators, uh, you know, school staff are going to look at this and say, it looks like you're doing this. They're not going to have the tools. They're not going to have an app or device. They're going to run it through to see if it's a deep fake. That doesn't really exist. They're not going to have the ability themselves. And even police departments are having big time trouble with this, right? So, uh, you know, you could send a video where it looks like your, yeah, your neighbor is yelling at you or profanity or your neighbor is throwing something out into the street or something. Or, I mean, I don't know what it is, but people could think these things up and suddenly put you in a defensive position because, well, here's evidence now. Um, and again, most of these schools don't have bu budgets. They don't have resources. And, and that's, you'll see this marketed. So that's where I would probably go. If I did a school safety presentation, I would dig in with this with districts and say, how do you, how are you investigating deep fakes and avatar realism? Um, uh, and you know, how, how, what's proactive? What are you using? Are, are there technologies out there? And the technology, like the apps would always be getting ahead of the technology. Um, what are you doing? I mean, how is this? Uh, is there any time when a school might actually use this? What if they're, yeah, taking pictures of a football or athletic event and they want to make it look like it's sold out? So they just like press a button as an app and it now in puts, fills up the audience. Um, we're not far from that at, at that level. The technology is already there right now. Like, so. MLB and, and a lot of these things, but to have it now where you erode trust or like staff, oh, you know, the, the staff had done this, right? Um, and and you're, so it's almost it's almost like Joe Dolio, you guys who followed Joe Dolio, and if not, check out Tactical Wisdom, um, where, where Joe, like said, he has his pocket pen camera and he's had it, you know, for the last few years where when he's in situations and security situations, it's always there recording what's going on and interactions. So you, you, you have that. And now it's almost like you need that to give a counter to 
what might be manipulated as a video. Like you have authentic versus like if someone is saying, so what I'm trying to say there is like, do you get to a point as a school district where teachers, um, it's almost like wearing a body cam in a way, but it's not, you're wearing it to record the authentic event versus if a student is recording a teacher presenting and then changes that with a deep fake and then to something that would be um, damaging to the, to the teacher, like professionally would end up with them on leave or something like that or terminate. And so are you going to end up with these staff being recorded for the purpose of having an authentic record to counter the deep fakes? And how would staff feel about that? Um, would they embrace it? Would they not embrace it? Um, does that become a public record then? And these are really deep questions, but they're deep questions. I'm actually writing a case study for my fall superintendent legal issues class on this matter. And so we're, you know, we're going to have a hypothetical situation that, um, yeah, a student and is saying something happened and getting some other students to, you know, who have also watched this deep fake that's been produced. So they go along with the story to say that this is authentic. And then, um, it's not authentic, right? So then we're going to get into a policy question of saying, okay, this was investigated to, and whatever, or the students, the police found that there was a, the video had been altered, right? There was a original copy with a different metadata timestamp. And um, so that's not going to be the issue as much in the case study. It's going to be like, what does this look like for procedure and policy though? Like, so this a Sentinel event happened very disruptive to your teaching community, your trust and all of all of that. You know, like this is possible to happen again. It could be a TikTok challenge, right? Um, and okay, so there's a scenario the school board is going to debate. You need to inform them as superintendent. Um, there's a company that's saying, yeah, we're, we want to outfit all of your... So if you had cams like facing students, that's going to be an issue. But if you had a the teacher record it, that would be less of an issue. Um, so what if this was coming up and the, or the staff wanted it and said, hey, you know, we're scared to teach because um, we don't know if we're being recorded by a student. You know, maybe they have their camera hidden or something like that, or it doesn't have to be a phone camera or whatever. And, and uh, so we, we, but so that's a school setting in, in that case study. But I mean, this could be kind of, you know, anywhere this could happen, right? But um, so, how do you, how do you how do you do that from a policy standpoint? Um, so, look at Joe Dolio. We gotta get some of those followers over here. Yeah, Joe's growing a lot, and is what and and does, he deserves to, um, yeah, keep growing that. And Joe's a hard worker, um, so very much appreciate his regular newsletters, uh, the, the work he puts into his books, uh, being a regular on, um, uh, the con future conflict, um, and writers fix problems. So, yeah. So I'm happy for, for Joe and as more people, um, discover and keep subscribing to his work, it's, uh, uh really amplifying out for him. So, and Joe is, um, I did two interviews with Joe. So in philosophy of information, there's probably 30 pages in that book that are different parts of interviews with 
Joe for indicators and security and, and uh, verifying member checks and stuff like that. So very cool. Um, Bacon, if I may make one suggestion, I think the touching on the aftermath of a crisis scenario over the last two years would be a good read. That what we learn from them. Yeah. Are you of a, of a crisis scenario or I think it would have, to, I think if you did the last two years, people would relate to it because everyone's gone through that. Um, a weird part right now, Bacon is like, so we've kind of gone from pandemic and social unrest right into inflation, which is causing anxiety and, and instability wrap, you know, almost, I guess, hyperinflation type things with, uh, around the world and, and military conflict. Right. So kind of a East versus West thing. So you've kind of gone from chaos to chaos, um, that involves everybody. Um, you know, these are the levers that move the world and the economic markets and supply chains. So, uh, I, I don't know if you, yeah, I don't, I, I've thought about that. If you have some ideas, you can uh, zap them over to me. Um, but I'm kind of, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what that might look like. Um, but yeah. So, so if I did, a, if I did a book, yeah, I, I think it would be answering the question that I ended the second book with, and that's, are you essential? And then I would fire it back up to the third book would answer that question. And, and I think the first, I think I could even title that book essential or non-essential. I think that would be a pretty darn cool, um, title for a book, right. About, and then something like, um, you know, the, the human sorting bin as like the subtitle or something like that. And then it would really dig into the whole essential, uh, non-essential stuff. And then the impact on the, like the Jonathan, Bur the, the truck driver community, right. And you could break kind of things down from that to, to, um, uh, we could find different, different areas where we're putting this, um, restaurants into office workers, into families or into, I mean, whatever. Um, and then essential, non-essential, what that meant and what it means going forward. Right. And then also, I think we add in a new category and that's inessential. We introduce, when do you become inessential? And that could be if you're automated out of a job, if you're, if, if the government goes to a digital currency, and has the ability, you know, to freeze you out of your assets because, you know, um, whatever. I mean, right, right. Like, I mean, so we've all been reading about uh, stories of people um, yeah, from Russia who live in the United States who are having to, you know, endure uh, people not going to their, you know, businesses or other, you know, things because they're from Russia, but they're in, they've maybe been in the U S I mean, it kind of goes back. If we think of some, there could be a flashback in the book to kind of the, the Japanese, um, in camps, you know, domestically during world war two, where this whole essential, non-essential, but then inessential. And once you go to innocent, inessential, you're really kind of dehumanizing people. You're not deplatforming. So essential, non-essential has a deplatform feel to it. Inessential is a de 
dehumanizing event. And also, I think the velocity of information and all of this now shows we're not even able to opt in anymore necessarily. We're getting to a point where we're going to be forced in. If you're, if it's a digital currency, you're pretty much forced in, right, um, to having all of your information connected with whatever ID it is for this digital currency. So I think there's really an interesting side on on that essential, non-essential, inessential, and the it's a race. I see it as a race because you know it's kind of like the movie iRobot with um, Will Smith, who didn't have a good night last night. But um, there'll be some point in time, I think the like the movie iRobot, where you, you, in society you have robots that look humanoid kind of like just walking around doing tasks or uh, you know, if you're living at home and you're elderly, that is a support robot, you know, that's, that's there. I think that stuff will happen in time. Um, And you know, that movie shows the benevolent side of that and then the ability to, for humans right to overrule and program as we've seen in Terminator and other movies too. But but I, th- I, I, th- I think we're at this point where it's this race. Like if you can get to the automata- uh, automating and a, a robotic and, and, and things that would decrease the demand on, you could still have supply and things be done. It just wouldn't be necessarily done by humans. That would restructure what work looks like. And, but if you, if you don't get there, like right now, we don't have any of that stuff. And if people are checking out of the system, it's more of an inessential. I don't. I don't know. I don't have it really thought out yet. I have to. I'd have to sit down. But I think there's a book for that of saying, you know, we kind of like, you know, uh, again, essential, non-essential. What is inessential, and you can could be deemed inessential just by being in in the wrong association. Like you know, maybe you supported the wrong candidate. Um. Uh, whatever the shifting sands, right? Something could be looked at and maybe you could have your access to something toggled off. Um, John Ronson wrote about, um, so you've been shamed the book. So you've been shamed. And it was someone I think that made like a social media post. I think his book was out like 10 years ago and they, they made it and then they got off an airplane and then, or I think it was an airplane or a train. It's one of the two. And then, like, everything just fell apart for them. Like, people, I think they lost their job and stuff, and it was just taken out of the context they thought it was going to be taken in. And, of course, and so it was there. But, um, so I think kind of something like that. And then I I think there's also a part for the book of saying how every decision tree that you have in your mind now going forward Every decision tree has to be like, okay, if I'm going to take this job or I'm going to train for this, can I do it remotely? Or what if what if the whole essential versus non-essential starts again? It was like one day that happened. Will I be able to succeed? I know a dentist who I was talking to him and he said, uh, yeah, when, when the essential non-essential happened, we were shut down. And for the first like two, three weeks, it was murky like what is the guidance for how dental offices will work how will cleanings work because right you're moving micro particles and mouths and what does filtration look like and there was no guidance right so he said um 
and he was, you know, it was a newer practice and he was like, this was, I was terrified. Um, I didn't, I didn't know what to, this is before all the PPE loans. I mean, was, but I mean, but he said he had never thought about that in the whole time he wanted to be a dentist and he had practiced that in that vulnerability of you could, he was just switched off. And then what did emergency dentistry look like if someone had something you had to do and what were the procedures? I mean, but he's, he, so we go into all of this and even, and, and so you, you start to, to say, can I be remote? Can I be a remote worker? Does this change where I live? Does it change, you know, someone you date, right? If you're dating someone and based upon their career and mobility, um, I mean, does this change like um, how people return to church and interact with church and civic organizations, but specifically churches, you know, um, are people going to, is there going to be a, a fear that the church could be shut down and be put back onto zoom church? And if that's the case, are people really going to tie in as much with people? I'm just not sure. Like, right. So I think you could come in and say everything you're doing has this new filter and every, every kid that is going to go into post-secondary and choose a career at some level in that process, you're going to say, is this essential or non-essential? And also if you live somewhere, can it be remote? Every house, every realtor, right? You could interview a couple of realtors for the book and say, what are people looking for? I interviewed, I had one, uh, Stacy Brower interviewed in this and she was saying in Seattle where she's a realtor um, during the pandemic, people didn't want to live in the city, not because of Chaz, but because um, el- like, well, first things were shut down. Like it was harder to get into things, but she said elevators, like if you're in a high rise, they were limiting to like two people per elevator. So, you know, it was a great, it was a pain. Um, and then you're staying in your place and the parks are shut down and all that. And, and so she said that became suddenly hard to sell these properties. So I think, so I don't know, let me know what you think on the, on the chat, like a title. I'm actually really interested in that because I'd like to be able to throw a title out there for people. The velocity of information. um, I came up with that early on. (laughs) Like that was within the first maybe week of thinking about the book and it never changed. But School of Airs was initially titled Lessons of Lower Manhattan because a lot of it talks about the 9-11 Harbor Rescue and that crossover of how that connects to how schools rescue or, you know, school thinking needs to be more like 9-11 rescue thinking. And so that was Lessons of Lower Manhattan until the very last proof. And then the publisher said, it's just, it's too local, right, to an area. And then um, School of Errors was one of the options. And the reason School of Errors was picked because it's a playoff of Shakespeare's Comedy of Errors, which is a play where everybody, the adults all know better, but they still make the mistakes. And that's kind of then School of Errors. Like, you know that bollards aren't going to solve your safety problems, really, if you get down to it. But this is what people see, so you're going to put them out there. So there's a subtle meaning. But... um, I think a book called essential or non or essential, non-essential or inessential, or maybe that's like the three. Um, and then something like a subheading of um, you've been sorted, maybe like that, right. As like the, 
the second one, you've been sorted. Because I the sorted thing is like you have no control in it, right? Like, you know, you've been sorted. And then like underneath you have like three bins, like on the front page, like sorting bins. Oh my God. Or on the title, on the cover. Holy smokes, I think that would look cool. And uh, and I think it, it becomes then a, a book about, um, yeah, again, the psychology of how information changes when you're in these different areas. Um, so, and then, and then how agency and purpose go. I mean, if, right, if you're in essential, you pretty much have to, to how do you find your agency and purpose? Um, is it like a, a Victor Frankl, um, you know, in um, a concentration camp? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to go down and write like something like a Victor Frankl type book. I mean, I want to, so I don't know. Let's, uh, let's do Zippy saying, this has already happened with audio for decades. Images and videos can no longer be trusted. Yep. You got it. Video editing. Um, that's why I stopped saying, and I'm not going to say it because apparently that can be changed. Oh my goodness. Yep. And the thing, right, with video editing is it's, can be done really, really well um, for really cheap or with apps. Um, that's uh, Joe Dolio, our good friend. So Joe Dolio on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so let's go. Oh, right here. The, this is from Andrew. The CEO of Mozilla was forced out because he donated to some political cause. So yeah, so that's where I think with essential, so that's, I think that there could be something in the book of, of somewhere where you donate it and also that maybe you donate it to something that changed from when the point you donated to it, it morphed right into something else. Um, but as long as there was some point in time connecting you to that donation, um, that then, you know, that this information is, is, you know, cause how many times do our credit, our credit information gets hacked and you get known or your, your personal information, right? All those, I wrote about that in school of errors. Um, but, and then you, you're doxxed, right? Or people uh, put you in this category and like the people that donated to the, um, you know, the truck drivers in Ottawa, right. And their names and addresses, you know, were released. And so, yeah, so this is where, and I, I think the question is like, how do you, how do you kind of like John Ronson with you've been shamed? What's your way out of that? So, and I, th I think there's a, there's two ways to approach this book. One, it could be like a school, you know, like, what do you do if, if this takes off like wildfire in schools? Um, but there could also be this with adults, right? Workplaces, community, just everything. I mean, how do you, how do you do this? Um, and then the fact is like, you, I think you would hit kind of this this mushroom of hyper, um, uh, like hyper video. Like think of it this, you know, like the argument would be everything has to be recorded, so we have an authentic record. So, oh, 
Okay. So like, you know, uh, in the neighborhoods, like everyone's going to have like three ring doorbells, right? You know, like everything. So then, but who's, you're going to have all this massive data that you're going to try to triangulate, like which is, who's going to do that? Or you could say, well, then we'll just create AI to do it, but AI can be hacked, right? So like that, all of this comes back to a scenario where, um, we're getting to a point when authenticity can be uh, manipulated with um, less and less effort. Um, so how do you, yeah, well, how do you counter? So in, in velocity of information, we talk about kind of how we do it now, member checks. So I could, any of you, like, you know, we could talk and you, you could um, tell me, hey, like I went to the store today and, this is the stuff that was out and I noticed, you know, there's, there are no signs indicating there's a chain shortage or something. So like we would have information from different places. Um, but you know, what, um, what are we, how are we going to counter this as, and again, I mean, holograms or people taking videos of saying, Hey, like this is happening, you know, uh, a town over and it's not accurate, but the video looks authentic. Um, and it, they can overlay like a timestamp and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think that's a, that's a question. I'd like to email me or post in the, the threads. If you want to think about it, um, what you think parts of this book would be, because it would have to have some strategic way for people to, It'd be almost there would be a section somewhere in the book saying, here's 12 ways to um, counter being the recipient of, uh, in, um, not, I don't know, of, of video or recorded some, uh, somehow um, information that's not authentic, right? Um how do you counter that? I'd be, and I'd be fascinated to try to figure out like who to interview. I know some of the people I could start to go to on that, but like just common stuff, like just to start putting this out there of saying, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? Um, so, wow, that's crazy. Um, Bacon saying, thanks for reminding me just how painful it was delivering to some buildings. She was hundred percent right about being in those high rise apartments, let alone, yeah, Stacy Brower when those places were shut down. Spambot fodder. Every time I see the photo of Victor in the bunk when he's uh, when the liberators come to bring some of the tears. Yeah, Victor Frankel, uh, F R A N K L, um, was a, a medical doctor who was um, then a um, prisoner, right? And or at uh, Auschwitz, and I think there were other camps he got moved to. And after, and he, so he would would try to help other um, pris prisoners, right? Um, it's not using the, I don't know if I'm using the correct term there, but, um, and, and a lot of the times it was just like trying to, to be with somebody. Like he might be given one aspirin to split it between eight people or something like that. But in his book, I think it was called Man's Search for Meaning, which he wrote um, after the liberation of the camps and he had survived. And he was, I mean, uh, 
I think had typhus and some other things um, was dysentery. It was really sick, but he survived. And he, and he was saying, you know, agency and purpose, right? You have to fa- have you have to have meaning in something. And his meaning was helping others, even if it was just being there with them, no matter how sick he was. And uh, and so, you know, that book is really, uh, you know, I, I don't. I think it's outside of. It's one of the top five books. It's translated into I don't know how many languages, but. Um, so I, there's a contemporary means to that, though. I, I don't know how you do agency and purpose because, like, when World War II was done, you know, he, he reintegrated into society. The event was done. But this would be, you know, with, with perpetual and evolved deep fakes and avatars, you, how would you reenter into a into society if you'd been the victim of something like that and then and not be re-victimized right uh how how do you how do you start again or how do you what's your easement back into society um without being like having rights that are always revoked from you like a social credit type thing so i don't know there's a, there's probably a social credit part to the book, but so many people do that. I think it has to focus heavily on the psychology of how do you find agency and purpose in a world which is heading rapidly toward automation, and also if it's you know this you can be essential, non-essential, and maybe inessential. How do you handle that? And it's like a race, and you might not get to we might fall short of the point when singularity happens and some of these things happen. And, or if it happens, um, what if, what if it isn't like I, I robot, right? What if, if we're not using, uh, robots and technology and advanced 3d printing for our benefit, um, to have liberate us from work? Like, so you, you can have supply and things like that and maybe a 20 hour work week. How do people still, how do people find agency and purpose with that? You can be creative, I guess, you know, music, write books and paintings, but um, you're probably, you know, not necessarily going to be building a house, right? I mean, a lot of that would be the robots doing stuff like that. You're not, um, so a lot of, a lot of those things, I mean, which was not uncommon when Henry Ford made the assembly line and stuff like that. People are losing the the skill of working from start to finish on one thing, but um I think that's different, though, because, I mean, again, with the deepfake stuff, it, it can change how other people perceive you. Uh, it's almost like it could change how you perceive yourself. It's like deepfaking a mirror every time you look into it. So I, I don't, uh, you could just, people could be so, there could be such instability in the human condition in 10 years because of this. Like, and and what what could even like we could pretend we could write a chapter like what could be this crazy um what how should i say this either a subscription you have like a life lock right <laughs> your identity stolen almost like that for a deep faking like a like some business that would evolve that you could pay for or insurance deep fake insurance now let's say that I think you. I think there could be a whole uh, chapter saying like these, these, these two things or three things. Imagine a world with these. That your insurance, yeah, comes to you and now has this deep fake avatar in your 
or there's like this whole life lock thing for if you've been deep faked or um and how how do you preserve what is yeah your assets and stuff once there's been a deep fake identity of you created and uh so i mean i think th those are technical i wouldn't get too much into the technical uh, because there'll be, be people who write about that but i think the whole psychological is that was one of the big things with john ronson in so you've been shamed that was the person who put out a social media post like, like a tweet or something and they thought it was a spoof and um it wasn't interpreted that way and they ended up losing their friends and their job and so yeah what if something like this happens that is not because of anything you've done it's because of a malicious actor but what if it's not you? What if it's a whole other people? What if and what if you have to start measuring if there's a video from your local politician or police department or emergency services or something with something coming out and you're like, I'm not sure that's real. Well, that's going to delay your time between recognizing chaos and your safety, or maybe it's going to walk you right into danger because it's a spoof, but it looks real. So how do you trust that? How do you trust? Yeah, well, it's like this hack of the emergency broadcast system. But if we're doing it with with people, um, and people being able to yeah call you and video call, and you know like all of the stuff we know kind of exists in some levels by some you know very polished I don't know hackers manipulators, but it could be so widespread and so easy to do every single thing would almost every single th moment things that you go through during the day you'd have to to really authentically question um that is this happening wow that's almost a, that's a cool heading too is this happening wow uh i don't know man um bacon saying donate anonymously yep same with identity theft uh you're overthinking the process. So, yep, look at credit card, credit card fraud. Yep. Yeah. So there, I mean, I think, I think the part zippy that I think where the book would come in, if there was a third book, I use that photo now. It's printed, but hey, it's cool spam about fodder. Yeah. I, I wrote about Victor Frankel. Um, when I was drafting velocity of information and then I, I removed um, that section um, because it's other people had just done so much on it and it, but it, it did help me think of, of um, I was thinking about it and then I kind of replaced it, I think with um, the are you essential chapter, but, uh, but I, so yeah, so zippy, like, you know, you can be the victim of these kind of mechanical things in the fraud, but like, what if there is, um, or yeah, the deep fake part of that, or what if the credit fraud is that they're having a credit report of where you've spent money on illicit things, right? Or whatever, or it connects you and it's not authentic, but it's been hacked to make it appear authentic. And maybe there's an, a corroborating avatar or deep fake that's put together. That's a pretty big pile of evidence that, Who's going to be able to sift that? You know, like that's the thing educators tell me right now. 
is they're they're really um, terrified of the deep fake stuff because they said, how are we going to tell? How we're we going to look at it and say, no, this is a fake. We don't know. And then what do you do in the meantime, right? And so you're interviewing some students, but what if a couple students corroborate it who are in on the deep fake, if they're able to be done? I mean, so that they're terrified of that. Like, where do we go with this? And then it's part of the, and then police um, liaisons also say, this is very, it's hard for us. It takes time and you have to really get into forensics of trying to enter if there's anybody else around or just corroborating. And it's not as easy to just look at it. Like um, you can have, you know, people who are specialized in deep faith, but who's, who are these people? Who are you going to budget for them? The police departments have them. And is again, now they'll say there's a software scanner for that, right? To go over a picture or something to see if it's been deep fake, but how reliable would that be? And how quickly could that be outpaced by the new deep fakes? So I think you're going to see this marketed to schools. That's actually a really good PBS presentation right there. This is to try to figure out who's the first vendor selling deep fake detectors. Um, Actually, I know, like, you know, I know the top people in the safety industry or many of the top people in the safety industry. And I'm going to run that question by them here in the next few days and say, what do you think about this? Like, is anybody kind of on the edge is, is thinking about this as trying to do some kind of product or some type of professional development? I mean, if you came out tomorrow, even and said, um, um, Detecting uh, deep fakes um, and, um, you know, uh, fake avatars or something, whatever, conference for educators. And it's going to be, uh, you know, open to the first 500 people. And you had a couple of presenters who are experienced in this and you had some type of examples and tips. That thing would sell out, boom, in three days, three days. And yeah. So idea for conference we used to run stuff like that, but um, that conf- a school conference like that sell in three days. So 500 people might sell it even faster than that. Uh, so I, yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot, a lot to this. Um, so Zippy's saying, uh, well, the court of public opinion is fickle. You'll need to force people in process to forgive, ignore the deep fake crimes. It's not different. Yeah. But, wouldn't it be different though, Zippy? Because, like, if you if people were accused of committing a crime, like a, the deep fake archives would be so widespread and still out there. Like, you'd almost have to scrub the internet of these things. Like, if you if you you necessarily in contemporary crime wouldn't have that evidence um, so redundantly out there that alleged instant right. Um, so, and, and I think this could happen at such a frequent pace. It's like, okay, we have to forgive you for the fourth deep fake. And if you're in political power or if you're a celebrity or, you know, wealthy, whatever it is, business owner, it could, you know, you could be the person more likely to be targeted. I had a friend who, um, when he was drafted into the NFL, uh, one of the things he told me was, so they sit down with you, right? Experience I haven't had, not drafted in the NFL, but um, he said that 
you know, they, they, they go over with you some key things right away. And they're like, um, you're likely going to be the target of, of people trying to get money, you know, extort money from you in different ways. But he said, one of the things they told him is wherever your parents were, his parents, they said, have them up their umbrella policy on their house insurance because people will walk by and slip on sidewalks and, you know, all of these things are, you know, um, but that right away. So that was one of the things his parents did was they upped their uh, overall property um, umbrella policy because of being the, uh, you know, likelihood, because of course now they know that the son is in the NFL and, um, there were, uh, me- you know, many measures they were going over with him of uh, how people would try to, or it had tried to extort professional athletes. So it was like, yeah, I, I think it was put it was put together by the league. But, but, so I want to get him on the show at some point, and I don't know how much this he can talk about. And it's been he's been out of the league for a while. So, um, but you know, of course, right? So this is there's a whole side of this of there's there's going to be this. Uh, you, you take away the incentive to step into the to a either a public figure position or career or something because you each of those steps forward you take you become more likely to be the recipient maybe statistically right of a deep faker avatar attack and maybe you can weather off a few of those but at some point it's the liar's dividend right the liar's dividend, meaning if someone accuses you of something that's false, right? So they're like, oh, like Zippy's always driving 45 in the 25 zone. Like he's always doing that. I see him all around town, like driving fast. And someone is saying that they're telling people and you could be like, no, I don't do that. And I don't look, I don't, I don't have any tickets and stuff like that. But like some people will hear that and it'll just put a little question mark in their mind and they'll say hmm well this person had said zippy's a you know zips around town that's why they call him zippy so maybe he does there'll be this kind of doubt this is called liar's dividend where people are some people will be like maybe i mean if, if this person still there'll be a little question mark there and sometimes if it's a, if a couple people say it or someone repeats it the question mark gets a little bigger so this liar's dividend is going to come in to play big time here with um, the deep fake avatar stuff. So, yeah, and the thing is, it can be it could be anonymous, right? I mean, you, if you came out and and produced a video, right, um, versus a a, I man, there's a lot to to unpack with this. Um, so let's see. Bacon is zippy. I got a, a fraud order last night where they placed some small order and called me over the phone and tried to get me my info because something's wrong with the account. Got free cookies from it. I'm glad you got free cookies. Holy smokes. Wow. Um, zippy. The only big change is law enforcement governs a larger digital crime squad. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about that? Um, zippy. So let's see here. Propaganda. Are you going to cover fairness doctrine? I don't know. I don't know. I could. So yeah, if you got an idea, Zippy, send it over. I'm not like as I'm not. It's, it's kind of a work in progress as I'm just sitting here. But as I've 
as I now reflect on the velocity of information and kind of like think of, okay, if there is a trilogy, it really has to answer that final question of, are you essential? And I think it has to move us into, and I set it up already in the book, kind of, you know, the stuff with deep fakes and avatars and, um, and we already have, you know, the metaverse, you know, stuff going on of, are we, this whole thing of, of what is, how do, how do we know what's real and how do we know what's not? But not only that, like, how do we, how do, what people know about us, how do they know if it's real or not? And then the information we're using you to inform ourselves, like a government official making a statement, how do we know that that's real or not? Um, it, when this, you know, tech, if technology advances. So, um, Andrew, I've always been able to um, sniff out defects, but it's getting harder. Yeah, that's the thing. It's getting harder. I mean, just look at the the face app things or reface, right? Like that's improved substantially since that came out. And of course, you know, you have a context because, you know, you know it's from a movie and stuff like that. And But, um you move that forward another two years and, you know, kids at a high school using it and some video that already isn't that great. And then it goes in and, and modifies something that's going on. Yeah. Um, so it's just well known, can be easily debunked. And you have to have the people vesting and able to do this. And that's the thing, like the educators tell me in the classes, we can't do this. Like right now, we have to turn it over to law enforcement and law enforcement is kind of looking at us like, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure on this. Like, it's like, you know, we have, we have the same eyes looking at this as you, we have to corroborate it with investigation. But if that's not there, there really isn't, I mean, a program existing that we can run this through without getting like an FBI involved or something. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy where this show took a while trip today spend about five or same year there's a reason i made my instagram uh fps page and i wear what i do on youtube yeah i'm um i'm a public figure i'll say that not because of running for office but because i've been on pbs twice right so and i've used this so that's you know but um wow <laughs> jokes on them i can't i can't drive so that's right but Z zippy's uh yeah so Zippy, um, I don't know. The NSA, I don't think it'd be there. I don't know, given the NSA, I don't think there would be a huge issue. So, oh, like somebody, um, I, I watched a show where uh, um, attorneys said they expect this to be, it was um, um, divorce attorneys were saying they expect deep fakes to be an issue that they're dealing with at any time, any moment, you're going to see deep fakes used from one party against another claiming this is authentic, right? To, to get leverage, um, any moment. So, um, spam bot to bacon. That's a good policy. Be yourself and don't have a real force that is different from your YouTube face. So, uh, bacon does not drive 45 and a 25. Everyone seems to be ignoring the whoa, beef pigs. So, yeah, I don't. There's so much um, 
Yeah, this this is this has been a fascinating kind of end here to the to the show. Great show overall, terrific show. Thanks. Um, but lots to think about. And yes, please either post or like afterwards post down below if you think and say here's some things that would be great for like a your third book doc or like even here's the title. Yeah, I liked essential, non-essential, inessential, or like um something to that effect. Um and yeah. So hmm. The thing is though, right though, Zippy, the a lot of the stuff is already public opinion gets swayed. People lose their jobs because of videos and stuff. Um, bef so there are ramifications of this before it even hits a, a judicial system. So I, I think the liar's dividend is, is a big part. And I think how employers handle this or yes, you know, schools or like universities or whatever, um, is a student in or the employer still there while this is a, being investigated as an alleged event or are they put on leave or is it uh, or is it a dismissal because of a, a damage to a brand image or I mean I I don't know um, I I think this is really discarded that for a title right there discarded are you essential or non-essential Cool. I could see like sorting bins as the image, it's, you know, just some, some bins. Can you imagine bins with like, you know, just people in them? Um, and there's kind of like being dropped into some different, different bins. Uh, yeah, I think, I think this is cool. Um, yeah. I don't know. This is a deep, this is a deep uh, brain conversation and, and thought right here. So the books that I've seen, there's a lot of books about deep fakes and they're usually written by like, you know, this person was the former, you know, NSA or FBI. Investigator. I can't, you know, so they've got all this technical stuff they're talking about. Like I can't write in that area because that's not my area of expertise. Um, I, I think like, um, you know, where I, or I could really center in is, how, how you would, how information would become so difficult to, to filter, right? At that point, if this stuff started to happen, that it would create, it would rapidly um, destabilize us to chaos. Because you could, what do you trust? Kind of like as Nikolai Razvayi wrote in The Velocity of Information, The Soviet Cyclist. And, you know, the Pravda state media, Russia saying, oh, everything, everything's fine, whatever. But then like, he's like, well, why are they soaping up the roads? And why are we not seeing all of our West, um, Western cyclists are just going back in the planes and leaving like something's up. And so I think there would be this whole, uh, yeah, this, the whole face validity thing. And so it would just keep getting more micro right? Like at first, like it might be macro. Okay. Something I see on TV, but now it might be with holograms or like, you know, other stuff like that or stuff that's targeted towards you. It could be stuff that's right in front of you. How do you know, or, you know, something that's, I mean, 
it's not that far from that. Um, and as, as it gets more micro, um, what is your circle? What, what is your system of trust? So I don't, I don't know, but, and then also, yeah, how do you, how do you have people back in? How do, how do you, how do people take risk in that environment? Um, entrepreneurs or to, you know, political aspirations or just other things. Um, wow. I don't know. Um, let's see here. Humans put into bins, i.e. groups and categories, or humans normally put people into bins. Yeah, kind of did that with essential, non-essential, yeah. Um, this is Andrew Tizippi. Yeah, and we do it within like five seconds. Job interviews are determined with, yeah, that's right. So Andrew, that'd be a great point to put. I'd like that you wrote that because I could go back and harvest this out of here. So that would be, you know, I could like find the research on that, right? Like a, you know, a couple studies or whatever and say like, you know, people, you know, job interviews are, right, da -da -da, per, per whatever study in five seconds, you know, the decisions are made. Um, that would be interesting. And to say, yeah, say already how fast. So if you can deep fake or avatar, do something to throw dust in the jury's eyes, the old saying, like, you know, of an attorney, if you can throw enough dust in the jury's eyes, you'll get an acquittal. You know, that was, the, I, I listened to an attorney who was talking about defending um, somebody who had drugs in their refrigerator. And, uh, and this wasn't a first person interview. This was like a, the, I was listening to someone interview this uh, attorney, but, um, and the attorney said, yeah, like with that, the eventual question of the person who was saying about the drugs was like, well, what color was the carpet in the room? And they couldn't identify that. Like what tell us about the couch and what, and so like, you know, these things, all of us would just normally go through. Like, well, I, I know there was a couch here and then, you know, can you describe the pattern? Not really. Well, okay. So you start to introduce this fake and by the time or not this fake, you that this like, well, they, it, so the jury's like, well, they didn't understand this. They didn't understand this question. They didn't understand this. So like, were there really drugs in the fridge or not? So like you move them questions. But um, so I think the fact too is like you, you only have to be really, really good at this for a really, really short amount of time with deep fakes and avatars, right? I mean, when Fox Sports was doing it with baseball, and you know, most of the video then was was when the fans were in the, in the stands in 2020, it was on the players. But when they did move it so it went in the stands, they only had to have it for that one two second clip, and you know, the, the and then they would get off of that. So imagine, or like you get a picture, you know, a two, a two second clip from something that's happening somewhere. Um, like what is? All right. So, um, yeah, I think that's a really good point in this too, is you don't have to keep this up very long. Um, you, you could literally be dealing with seconds. Um, speaking of deepfakes, bacon, showing your face public, just confirmed them naturally. Oh my goodness. Bacon. Bacon. Spam about fodder. The whole essential versus non-essential didn't affect anyone on my team where work. Uh, 
we all work from home anyway, so the office lockdowns were a non-event for us. How about, um, but how about, okay, but did they know anybody? Did they have a relative who was a hairstylist? Or did their son um, or daughter work as a, you know, at a grocery store? So then they were, they had to go in as essential. Or did their medical appointment for, you know, a cancer screening get canceled, right? So, so yeah. So they, so in that case, they moved into remote, but what other aspects of their life got adjusted, right? Or, or the people that they knew or that they're responsible for caring for and stuff. Um, so yeah, Zippy's saying, that's why I think I would completely remove the courts. So, wow, Zippy wants to get rid of the courts. And the the thing is, right? People are going to move this toward they they're going to want an automated process for this, right? So, Spambot, I haven't heard any rumblings from coworkers on their families. So, well, that's good. Like, I, you know, I'm, I don't want this to to have an impact on people. They'd have to. I mean, it almost have to be like a in vivo research. Right, you'd have to be asking these people, uh, "How is this impacting? Are there ways that this is impacting you?" Um, and okay, Zippy's saying not all deepfakes uh, will just be barred from courts, like with audio evidence. Um, no, all deepfakes, but how will you know it's deepfake stuff? So you're saying all all video, but look at wearing body cams, right? So would that really be the case i don't know I, I i don't i think we've gone down a path where it's different now um but people are going to want the automated answer to this uh, schools employers and things like that are going to want a service if you are out there and i, I mean this is an interesting show and i wish i wish i knew somebody i could bring on to talk about it. I'll have to think and see if I know anybody in my network who could, could talk about this. But if you were to design a business right now, let's say there's an, uh, an entrepreneur um, who comes up with you and says, hey, I have like, you know, $10 million. It's like a Shark Tank thing, I guess. Maybe that's not a good example because you have to have the product already made. But there's, there's um, investment, you know, they, they said, we'll give you $10 million. We want you to develop a a system for um, yeah deep for a video to be um, analyzed and then to have a rating whether it's a, a, a deep fake or not or if there's certain things within your detector that can quickly identify it is a deep fake um, and if you you know we need an interface where a person could upload the video and then you know. You can click whatever and it'll have like a, it'll point out if this is, uh, you know, what the confidence level is per the software. And we'd have to have like, how would you pilot it to get enough trials with it, right? To, to get some confidence, but someone will do that. Like it'll, it'll be something cause there's nothing now. So something will be better than nothing in a lot of people's eyes. It'll be a social proof thing. So like that would be interesting to present on PBS, but you'd have to present once it, somebody did it you couldn't just speculate about it but you, you could be like presenting about saying here's yeah here's one district that 
you know, for, you know, it's, it could be on a usage thing. So you could have a contract of saying it's $400 um, a year minimum. And then every time you use it is um, $19. Every case that you investigate and you use our software, it's $19. So it's a usage thing. So then course the the vendor would say the motivation is you're teaching kids to not do this and things and you, that's how you'd sell it to a school board of saying but it's a tool if you need it but then of course suddenly administrators and if if this sparks up it could it could be thousands and thousands of dollars every time this this software is run god i mean this is an in, i don't have any technical expertise to do this but um yeah, it's really pretty dark thinking to have this type of software but i don't i don't think it's that far out there. I mean, look at like we already have uh, American Federation of Teachers had a program that they wanted to make available to all kids to scan um, news articles that kids were had and give them a rating of whether the news was fake or authentic. That was like three, four months ago that came out. Um, so, yeah, if you know anybody, um, I wonder who I could contact that I kind of know or that would respond back to me and give me some idea in this area of yeah i don't even or, or like to take it to, to make it risk-free kind of like government of government fund government grant to do a pilot project and um you know of yeah 10 20 million dollars of saying we're going to make this available to whatever and and so then yeah that per that isn't being um you're not being sued uh, holy smokes. I do know somebody I can talk to actually, and I'm gonna, I'll reach out and, uh, have that conversation and see if he's willing to come on the show. This is right up his alley. So yeah. And, and it's, things are usually the extent to the measure we take them, which isn't a great way to put that. I have a different way of saying that, but I'd have to look how I've so it's the extent of the effort given, right? So again, like if the deep fake stuff for the fake avatar, these types of things, like how, how much are you willing to try to authenticate that? Or, um, man, I don't know. So Zippy's saying, body cams and cops are an official source. So there's a level of clarity on this, right? So in those situations, yes. Um, so but let's, you know, let's take it where, you know, again, I, something that happens outside of this, some, or into a school classroom. Um, great. Took 20 minutes to install two fans. Oh, come on, Zippy. Should have got the hundred dollar case. Wow. In the midterm, everything is rushed and taken advantage of when the smoke clears, it's all barred from the courts. Yeah. That's your, you're right with your perception there. It's a game of statistics. The more frequent it is, the more you have to dismiss it. It's like OCDing over washing hands. Yeah, right? So that is also the liar's dividend in this process is if you can do, a, if the frequency of it increases, it's, I don't know. Does it fall apart then or does it, it I, I don't know. 
this has been a great discussion. So guys, I need to go up and put more firewood in because I can feel it's getting colder down here, which definitely means it's getting colder upstairs. It's uh, less than 20 degrees Fahrenheit right now. Thank you, though, for sticking uh, with the show. Give a thumbs up here to the safety doc. And remember, whoa, was, um, this book is awesome. School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America. Thank you for uh, supporting my first book. My second book officially releases da -da, Friday, April 1st, but it's right here. You can get it from places that sell books. The Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome. So I'm Dr. David Pro in the safety doc. And... Uh, Bacon saying, I think I'm going to start a YouTube channel, The Body Camp. You know, that would actually be kind of interest. That would kind of be interesting, right, to to do that. Um, but anyway, uh, night to our good friend uh, Zippy, uh, Bacon, Spambot. Uh, I know we had Solitude in here before. Um, Andrew. So um, appreciate all of you. Uh, Vanessa, New York Outcast. So awesome. Um very cool. All right. I'm going to take us out the same way I uh, bring us in and be well, everybody. I, I'm hoping by next week's show, we have warmer weather here and, <laughs> and it's just, it's not happening yet, but take care everybody. And again, uh, take us out here the same way I bring us in. Uh, all right. Thanks everybody. Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perotti. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perotti on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. As chaos erupts, torrents of conflicting yet urgent messages gush from media outlets. What is the magnitude of the incident, and what should people do to protect themselves? Dr. David P. Perodin teaches you how to prevent mental burnout by observing indicators and building a robust member check network. Reporter James David Dixon of the Detroit News proclaims, the velocity of information will empower its readers. Drawing on current events, history, interviews, and scholarship, the velocity of information is an education in the way people react and adapt to change in this fast-spinning world. Never has it been more important to sift facts and stories for truth and meaning. There are teachable moments on every page. By the Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times. Available from your favorite bookstore or online retailer. A must read for parents, teachers, and taxpayers. Dr. David Perodin has written the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industrial complex. Attorney James Sibley proclaims, a brave demonstration of speaking truth to power. School of Errors rips the lid off the billion-dollar school safety industry. Using real-world examples of successful responses in desperate situations, David contrasts the expensive window dressings pitched to panic parents 
with the inexpensive and effective approaches proven to actually work. Read this book before you let your school waste another precious dollar on meaningless safety theater. Buy the international bestseller, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, now at Barnes & Noble or Amazon.